Welcome to the Peach and Black Podcast, your central place to hear unofficial news, reviews, trivia, and intelligent discussion on all things happening in the Prince world. Featuring the hosts, MC. You know, it's got all those classic Prince elements. Captain. Why wouldn't you just record as much as you could? Player. It's just like a story chest of ideas. Toe Jam. Either version. I love both versions. And other special guests. Hi, this is Larry Graham, and you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hi, this is Ricky Peterson, and you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hey, everybody, this is St. Paul Peterson, and you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Peach and Black podcast, live from Australia, only days after the end of Prince's incredible piano and a microphone tour that rocked the nation, both Australia and New Zealand. He came, he went, and it's it's been a whirlwind. So um, this is the Peach and Black podcast. As I said earlier, you're listening to the four of us about to go into our world-famous Peach and Black podcast tour review. Episode episode number (laughs) (laughs) 46,122. Somewhere there about. got to be something like like that now. Jeez. Anyway, let's focus on what we're all here to talk about, which is the Australian tour that just occurred. My head's still spinning. But before we go into all of the details and all that good stuff, let's introduce the panel as we normally do. Player. Sydney Apolis. Toe Jam. I'm all purpled out again. All the purple juices have been squeezed out of me. Yeah, you're flued out. Flued out. <laughs> I got a purple flu. And, and, and Captain. He played the max. It was just for me, but he played the max. 90 seconds of the max. And uh, those are the facts, guys. And it's MC in the place to be, also known as AKA Rob S., your host. On the Peach and Black podcast, let's go straight into this, guys. I'm really excited. This last couple of weeks has been, as I said earlier in the show intro, an absolute whirlwind. Just a couple of weeks ago, we didn't even know Prince was going to be doing a tour, let alone doing this sort of tour, let alone being in Australia. So this is... Let alone been... the Sydney Opera House. <laughs> That's right. Just, I'm, I'm at a loss for words and we haven't even started talking about it. So we were just saying before, it really feels like it's just a dream. It just happened out of nowhere. This Prince tour. Well, that's, that's the definition of hit and run. You don't have, you know, it's not like Bruce Springsteen. You don't buy your tickets four months ahead of the concert. It's just like, bang, you buy the tickets and then bang, you're at the concert and then bang, it's over. So quick. And then bang, you look at your bank account. <laughs> yeah. And then you cry. Because you've got no money left. <laughs> remortgage the house. <laughs> I think I, I heard a few people say that, actually, before the show. So I had to remortgage the house to get some tickets, but it was worth it. So, um, yeah, look, where do we begin? I mean, literally, let, let's begin when we first got the news. You know, we all woke up one morning and I can't even remember where it was first announced. It would, it would have been Twitter or Facebook or some website. But news spread, and I, I just remember a manic first couple of days people texting me left right and center calling yeah, my, me my phone went into meltdown it's just notification after notification just 
Yeah. I was and just going like, I was at work. I can't even use my phone at work. And my data's turned off. But MC sent me a text. And I looked at the phone. And it's like, what? And and I won't. Well, that <laughs> that's not true, Captain. <laughs> that's not what you replied with. Oh. <laughs> we probably shouldn't say uh, that on the show. Is it the two letters uh, BS? <laughs> that's, that'd be my first <laughs> guess, probably. <laughs> It was something. It was something along those lines. Let's just keep it there. But um, I think you were. <laughs> let's just. It's safe to say that you didn't believe me. Yeah. Yeah. So that was pretty funny. But <laughs> I remember getting like texts from like an old auntie kind of thing. Oh, well, this the prince is coming out again. The prince is coming out again. The Did prince. you know, Scott? Ah, uh, yes, I've known. Yeah, I mean, look. There's. Let's just say it was manic. It was a manic few days leading up to first the ticket sales and then after the ticket sales the anticipation of the shows and all the hype that went with that you know people were doing crazy things i for one went into a as you guys all know and a few of the the people that were there at the shows i went into a self-imposed prince bubble that uh (laughs) meant basically that i i disconnected myself from Twitter and Facebook pretty much entirely up until the day of the show. And the reason I did that was I didn't want to know what, you know, what songs were going to be played, what set list, what the set lists were going to be like, what the entrance was going to be like, what the intro, you know, and that really, um, I wouldn't say too much more about that other than it was a great decision on my part. I, I was in two minds when I made it. I was like, oh, will I miss a little bit of that excitement and that pre-show hype? I tell you what. I didn't miss any of that at all. It was a bit hard. You know, I was tempted thinking, oh, I should really go. A couple of days before the show, I was thinking I should go online and have a look at what everyone's talking about. But I kept my cool and we'll get to the point where we talk about the shows in a bit bit of detail. But that first moment when he took the stage, I had no idea what to expect. And it, and it oh, just yeah. it magnified that experience, I think, just tenfold. Mag- so it's insane. I was going to say, I avoided set lists, which I'm also glad I did. Yeah, yeah, I think you joined me on that crusade pretty much, didn't you? I mean, you had no idea what yeah. pretty much, but then no people idea were still, what he was going to play. But then people were still tagging me in set lists. I'm like, no, I don't want to see. <laughs> Player, what did you do that for? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm guilty of that. Sorry. Yeah, so this was an incredible tour for a number of reasons. The main one, of course, being that Prince was playing a piano on his own with a microphone in front of him for the whole show and that's it that's the show that's the gig that's the concert that's the experience and we've never seen anything like it before we've never heard of anything like that before this is a first for this artist without doubt i mean it doesn't compare to anything else he has ever done Aside from the same sort of show that he played earlier in January, which he entitled, I think from memory, the Paisley Park Piano and a Microphone Gala. So, you know, that was pretty much a dress rehearsal for these shows. But in essence, he's never done this before. And the four of us for years have been talking about getting him to the Sydney Opera House. That's right. Which is just staggering, the fact that he actually played that venue and and all four of us witnessed that there. And the fact that it wasn't, just the same old same old prince and the band it was prince rogers nelson on piano and keys and vocal remarkable so let's go into it the tour really was going to supposedly start late in 2015 in europe then due to the quite horrific and serious events in paris that idea seemed to be scrapped and the um ticket scalping incident as well yeah that's yeah, right that's reason so the you know all in all it wasn't a great start to the proposed european tour 
And so then he had a bit of a break, presumably over Christmas and New Year's, and put together a uh, couple of shows at Paisley Park in his hometown of uh, Minneapolis, obviously. And that was a gala event that really seems like it was a dress rehearsal for the shows that he's just done in Australia and New Zealand and potentially the shows that he's going to continue to do throughout the year. The Piano and Voice Tour is basically what it is. And, and then out of nowhere, after the Paisley Park event, you know, a week, a week and a half later, bam, Australian and New Zealand tour announced. It was one of those things, you know, just out of the blue, out of nowhere, as Captain said before, hit and run. Hit and run. And I'm still reeling from it, you know. I don't know how many times I'm going to repeat this throughout the course of this show, but it's just staggering. I think Australia is lucky in the respect that we often get the tour that's like the warm-up tour for the, the America or Europe. Mm. Uh, you know, the musicology. We got the pre-musicology tour. Um, although, I guess the Welcome to Australia one was different. That was sort of the tail end of it. But yeah, this one I think was definitely, let's, let's try this out in Australia and see how it works. And I think it's interesting that he played theatres, but that he also went to Perth and played a large arena. So I think that was to test out, does this work in a large arena as well? So yeah. and we'll get to the review of that to see how successful he was. Of course, Toe Jam attended that show, so... I did. I got my bank account to prove it. So. And if, <laughs> We've got an official Peach and Black reporter to talk about that. But look, let's go into the beginning of the Australian tour. None of us attended the Melbourne shows, but the first four concerts were in Melbourne. Of course, it was two shows per night and from memory it was i think a tuesday and a wednesday night in melbourne so midweek in australia's city of music which makes it really hard like i, I may well have gone down if it was on a weekend exactly yeah but you know taking time off work and for people yeah. with kids all sorts of complexities but yeah that oh, are we not again, mentioning the ticket fiasco? Oh, we're trying to stay positive. Well, <laughs> ticket fiasco. I mean, we were all talking about you know having you've got to have multiple strategies. I had my younger brother online trying to get something. I had several other people trying to get something, and uh, you knew something had come through. So, which it did. Yeah, but see, the thing is, is like I can see his reasoning why he wanted to do it to prevent the ticket scalping. But it, at the same time, as a hardcore fan, it was a detriment to you as well. You know, if you wanted to sort of really get to every show. Yeah, it made it even more difficult. Not impossible, but a lot more difficult. Yeah, the the ticket sales was just horrible. I had a computer and a laptop and my phone and a tablet. I had four things going. And before I knew it, tickets were sold out. I had zero tickets. Well, it's sold out of what they allocate. It's sold out of what they allocate. And this is the most frustrating thing. Like, Yeah, and then they and then they kept releasing tickets later on. Like, day after day, there was yeah. more tickets coming up. And I'm like, what? what is this? It was the most frustrating thing. The uh, the Perth show, my mate was, like, you know, a big Prince fan. And he was on there at, you know, 12.15 or whatever it was. And he bought, he got a ticket, one ticket. And it was, like, back row. But he was happy he got something. And literally, like, a week and a half later, I go on there, and I find, like, a much, much, much better ticket. And I said to him, well, you should call them up and say, look, there's better tickets available. Can you swap it over? And apparently they wouldn't have it, so. Hmm. Yeah, and I think that doesn't that doesn't even come down so much to the promoter or the artist or no, anything like that. That's the ticket my- companies and their ridiculous practices. Yeah. Just the way they do it. Yeah, and I was in the same boat. I mean, I got a ticket to the Sydney Opera House almost on the end of, of one of the aisles three quarters of the way down the stalls, which in the opera house, you can't get a bad seat. You know, if you're in front of the stage, they're all very good seats, but you can have premium seating, which is, you know, in the middle of an aisle, a few rows, you know, 10 to 15 rows back. And I was like, okay, I'm just happy that I'm going to the shows. Yeah. And then I started thinking $400 a pop, you know, and I took my missus to the second one. I'm like, no, 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 $800 
I'm going to see what I can do. So, yeah, I mean, Tojam, your your friend tried to get better seats. He couldn't get them. I tried, and I was really lucky and, and grateful that they managed to swap them. But, yeah, I, I know of people that tried the same sort of thing, and they, they, they didn't get anywhere. And it was probably because they were getting too many requests, and then it was just starting to become a little bit ridiculous, you know, trying to put people from one section to another. So yeah. I guess I guess I, I think it's probably the, the whim of the person who takes the call, you know. Mm. Yeah, but not to mention even the, the ticket sites just basically being down. Every, yeah. So many people yeah. were stuck on this page, which is like, we're experiencing severe loading problems yeah. or whatever it said, and it had, had, a, 20, had a 25 second countdown. I watched that thing go, you know, 300 times. I never got to the site. It was just yeah. totally ridiculous. And then there were people who finally got through to that, got really good seats, and then by the time they got to, you know, put their credit card in, Oh, the tickets just dropped Got out. The whole off. thing closed. Yeah. And then later on, they're like, oh, we didn't have any problems with our website. What are you talking about? Are you kidding me? It's just, it's just ticketing companies these days, you know, and, and you have that around the world as well. Like the Europeans get frustrated. Um, I don't know that it happens so much in the US, probably because tours there seem to encapsulate a lot more of the country. But, you know, when you come to Australia and you're basically doing two cities, you're not even doing Brisbane, people go nuts. You know, they're flying... And at that stage, we didn't know about the Perth show. So. That's right, yeah. And people from Perth flew to Melbourne or to Sydney, you know. There were, yeah. there were a few people in that boat, so... Yeah. Anyway, we'll, we'll, but we'll get into that. But look, once all, all four of us finally got tickets to at least one of the shows, some of us got tickets to two, uh, I ended up going to three, and then there were a couple of crazy... Peach and Blackers that went to five. all four, maybe five. Oh, it's five, jeez. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, all purpled out. But Although, Vince, I know you're out there. Vince probably holds the record. He saw all nine. He's still Except- out there. He's, still, he's flying to, to, to the US, I bet it you. It wouldn't surprise me. I it bet you. Surprise me. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Vince. Oh, we haven't even mentioned yet. There were two shows in New Zealand as well, in Auckland. Let's not forget them. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. Which were strangely in between the Sydney and the Perth show. Mm. So I don't know how that worked out, but. Yeah. Well, I know we're going on a bit about logistics, but the, the, what was always interesting to me was that Dainty were doing all of the shows, and then suddenly this Perth show came up, and it was Live done by Live Nation. Nation. Yeah. Which seemed very strange to me about why yeah. suddenly it's a different company. Yeah. Well, let's anyway, not. So let's, we can all speculate about why. So. Let's not get into the politics behind that, but I'm sure there's a very good reason. But uh, one thing I did notice as well is as soon as the Sydney shows were done, I think it was on Twitter, Dainty put out something like, "Well, that's it. That's all the Prince shows. That that's it. All done." And I'm like, "Yeah, for Dainty, <laughs> there's still a Perth show which yeah. is under Live Nation, but Dainty's like, "Yep, we're done. Two was done. Doesn't exist." <laughs> Oh, tour's over. Yeah. Couldn't even yeah. acknowledge but that look, someone else had another show with him. Before we talk about the end of the tour, why don't we actually... How about the start? Yeah, how about we start talking about the beginning of the tour, which was Melbourne and Melbourne night one. And again, you guys are going to have to talk a lot more about this because as, as I said earlier, I was in my self-imposed Prince concert bubble. I never went back. So I really know nothing about what happened at Melbourne. I mean, I know a little bit about the events that um, obviously shook Prince up a little bit with regards to the passing of someone special to him. But aside from that, I really haven't kept up to date with too many details about those shows. So you guys probably know a lot more than me. What happened in Melbourne? Tell me. <laughs> I just know that it was a really emotional show. All the people I spoke to said they were crying through it. He seemed to be on it in a different place. Very emotional, sort of getting out his emotions all in that first show. And uh, affected him so much so that by the second show, he had to cut it short. Hmm. which was caused a bit of a controversy, but everyone was just raving about the first show and like how he, he, not only did he play the songs 
that was in that set list, but he also told a lot of stories, was pretty talkative, um, shared some stories. So it was, it was pretty fascinating. Which he didn't really do later on in the Sydney shows. We didn't get any stories. No, no, that's He was right. very, what's the opposite of talkative? <laughs> Matter of fact. Yeah, it was like, yep, this is the show, here's the songs. Yeah, but keeping in mind that the Sydney shows were pretty much the lengthiest of the whole tour. So he made up for it in spades with regards to, you know, set list length. So much music was coming out of him. But look, we'll get to the Sydney shows. Anything else to say about the, the Melbourne... The Melbourne, the four Melbourne concerts, oh. obviously the crowd was te- tearful and emotional for the first show or two. And then, um, you know, then, you know, he, he played another two shows on the, on the second night, um, that was supposedly cut short. The second show on the first night, I just remember reading in one of the reviews, like the first show was very emotional. Second show was a shorter show. And one of the reviews quoted some guy. Or maybe it was on Twitter, I can't remember. And this guy's like, this was just overheard, you know, at the end of the show. It's like, what the hell? I didn't pay $400 to hear Prince being sad. And I just thought that was like the, one of the funniest things I've ever heard. And the most yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, I remember that quote. It's yeah. just hilarious to me. If I heard that, I would, have, I would have literally just burst out laughing if I heard that in person. That wasn't a journalist though, was it? Or... No, no, this was just overheard by somebody said it at yeah, the end okay. of the second show. I yeah. didn't pay $400 to hear Prince being sad. That's, that's just so comical. Like, I can't get over how funny that comment is. Anyway. Yeah, it's strange. So I think, generally speaking, like, there was a little bit of controversy over the, one of the shows being a bit short. It was, yeah. It was just a bit over an hour, I think, the second one. But I think, generally speaking, like, the, it's very positive. But, I mean, it seems to me that they were very well received from the, the press and, and all the people going, so. I can't remember the last time in Australia that he got such crazy rave reviews in the press. I mean, the fans and, and the, the public and the music lovers in Australia have always been uh, really into the shows, you know, the 2012 tour, the 2003 tour, I presume the 1992 tour, but the press was going absolutely bananas this time around. But has yeah. he really ever oh, had yeah. bad reviews here? No, I don't think so. He comes here that infrequently, except for the last time. Mm. Every time he comes here, everyone just loses it. Yeah, so. yeah, but this was special though, as oh, well, yeah. like these shows, and I know we're going to get into it and we start talking about Sydney and Aaron experiences and, you know, highlights and all that kind of stuff, but I mean, this was... Once in a lifetime, you know, you, sometimes you read that, that sort of term, you know, come see the show, it's once in a lifetime. This really was, I mean, he, I, I personally wasn't prepared for what I, what I witnessed. And it's, it's still, it's even for me, it's kind of emotional talking about it now. It's only been a short time since the shows have passed. <clears throat> I don't think we'll ever see anything like it again. It's just so unique. It was so unique. So we so take us to February 20. Yeah. With that, let's go to Sydney and it was a, f- Saturday night. Yep. Saturday night, the 20th. I guess that makes it all right. <laughs> 20th of February in, uh, in Australia, in Sydney, of course, with two shows at the Sydney Opera House. Yes, you heard it right. This is not a joke. Prince played two shows at the Sydney Opera House. Which, which we <laughs> did happen. ask him to do, so we'll just put that in there. In 2009. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well... So, it's only seven years late, Prince. He mo- he moves in mysterious ways, you know. He's not in a rush. This is, this is Prince. Actually, it's interesting because we did that show. We did the Sydney Opera House show. And then maybe like a year or two later, uh, someone started a Facebook group about getting Prince to the Opera House. And yes. so it was sort of like it was building, you know. It was. Yeah. It was Mike. Mike did a lot. You know who you are. Yeah, he did a lot of work behind the scenes yeah. and a lot of promotion. 
he's, he's a big fan as well. And uh, I actually caught up with him five or ten minutes before the first show, and the look on his face was of utter amazement. You know, and we haven't we hadn't even walked in into the concert hall at that stage. So there was an incredible vibe before those Sydney Opera House shows. It was weird. It'll never be. It, you, you just never repeat it. It's it's as I said, once in a lifetime. So. So yeah, the craziness was only just about to begin. We were all frantically scrambling to try and make sure that we got there. I know you guys got there earlier. I was running a little bit late, but got there with a little bit of time to spare. Actually, it was it was great to catch up with all the the regular Prince fans. Yeah, uh, down at the Opera Bar, that was really good fun. There were heaps of us there. Uh, everyone sort of knew each other. And the drinks were flowing, good times were happening, it was good. Yeah, that's where the, the first time that Toe Jam started losing his voice, you can hear, probably you can hear that he's, <laughs> he still hasn't quite fully yeah. recovered. But yeah, it was party time for sure. So, I've had so many people say that to me the last few days. Oh, is that from your sore throat? Is that from yelling from, I love you, Prince, or something? <laughs> no. no. Oh, gosh. So, uh, look, with that, let's just go straight into the, to the shows, the music, and everything in between. So the first show was supposed to start at 6.30. It did not start was, until, yeah. I think, 7, just after 7 o'clock. About 7 o'clock, yeah. And I remember, I'll just share this really quick, very short story. When I walked into the concert hall, again, I didn't know what the stage was going to be like. Obviously, I knew there was going to be piano there. I was in awe. You know, there was a piano and candles, and I thought, holy cow, this is going to be different. This is, as Toe James says, give me something different. This was going to be special and a, and a one-off, you know, like when, when's the last time any of us have seen a show like this? We never have. So that was already, I was feeling the occasion, I guess, and the, and how momentous it was going to turn out to be. Obviously I, I had no idea at the time, but I, there was a feeling in the air. And then I started turning, I was still standing and I didn't sit down in my seat and I was turning to the left, to the right. And I saw all these people I knew. Obviously, I saw you guys. Um, that was cool, actually. I remember that. Yeah. Like, walk, looking around, and you know, every couple of meters, you'd see someone you recognized. So. Yeah, it was incredible. It was incredible. And we were all kind of in the same area. You know, I looked backwards, forwards, to the left. All the crazies. Right. Yeah, all the crazies were there, all the hardcore fans. All, uh, <laughs> all of us were there. And it was just really, because I was at the first show alone, but I wasn't, truly, I wasn't alone, because I had all of you guys around me, and I had other people that, that I've met, uh, other Prince fans over the years. And it was just, it was an incredible experience. And he, he hadn't even come out on stage yet. So just all around, it was brilliant. It's something I'll never forget. See, MC, with you being in your bubble and not knowing anything about the Melbourne shows, I was sort of like that. I mean, I had seen the set lists for the Melbourne shows, but by the time the concert started, I'd totally forgotten anyway, even though it was only like two days earlier. So I was, I was like you. I didn't know what was going to happen. So yeah, so that all of us were kind of like that. I don't know, player, to what degree you were, you were aware of what was about to happen as far as the music. But well, I was I only went to the second show, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we'll, like we'll, in that second, I guess with every show with that uh, confluence introduction, the, yeah. yeah, the introduction the, from Memoirs of a Geisha, like just you know that even that's sort of like a, a uh, orchestral piece so you know it was kind of like you know prince doing the orchestra thing at the opera house <laughs> but like that just like that build up at the start and then you know the big yellowy green light that comes out from the side and the smoke and then all of a sudden mm. he appears like in a cloud of smoke and, and then the just, huge yeah, shadow like, of that afro walking out yeah that was <laughs> awesome can i just say that confluence intro is the most spine-tingling, chilling, haunting, mesmerizingly beautiful intro to any Prince show in history. And maybe I'm about, just saying that because... about all the thunder? 
from 2012. You don't miss, you don't miss that? <laughs> oh, I don't. <laughs> oh, God. It just, I, I was really moved by that. It was that intro music, just with the candles and the piano on stage and that intro music in the background. And, and then as it's, as it began, obviously they turned the volume up on it. It was truly otherworldly. It created an incredible vibe. It was so emotive. It was just this really beautiful opening sound piece. I, I get chills all over my body right now just thinking about it. The violin and the strings of, of that piece were just overwhelming. And hearing that in the concert hall of the Sydney Opera House, it, it was just something else. It really was something else. And with that, the intro came to a halt. As player said, the light turned on. There was the lime green or yellow glow. I can't even remember the colors anymore, but, and then he I came out. It was out. like a yellow gold color. Something like that, yeah. It was really cool. I love that intro, actually. It was like, you know, the, yeah. the alien, the alien arrives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and, and he walked out, crowd go nuts. They were very loud. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I reckon. For a Sydney crowd. It is. I reckon the first uh, two shows in Sydney, the crowd was the loudest and Mm. especially the intros. It was just remarkable. And then, um, he comes out and, and he starts, you know, we're not going to go through song by song, but I have to say the, the opener was big city, which to me, not knowing what was going to come was the first sign that this wasn't just going to be the hits all over again. It was going to be something different. And, you know, Big City on piano, is, as everyone who listens to the show knows, I'm not a huge fan of that album track. But on piano as the opener, it was a moment I'll never, I will never forget. It was so unexpected for me, number one. And I remember it just started tinkling this one note, just going dun 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 And it's just like, whoa, and then suddenly we're into it. That's it. And and the sound that he created on those keys was something I've never heard from him before. So I was just in a daze throughout that whole song. And then, you know, off it went. From there, the, the show began, and then two hours later... I think we were all in a world. Yeah, it was. It was. It was just about two hours, which so far I think was the longest show, longer than yep. all the Melbourne shows. I don't think any yep. Melbourne show went over about ninety minutes. And no, then and we this, get this, this one, two, two hours. hours. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was sitting outside and I was thinking, what the hell's going on? When are you guys coming out? <laughs> it was torturous. And I'm sure that was partly due to the audience just going nuts. Well. I think you could be right. He was in a great mood, probably in, a, in an even better mood on the second show. But yeah, the. First First Sydney show was was, was awesome. Oh, he was really hyped up. He'd listened to our Opera House show, and he was he was pumped up, ready to go. He was thinking, "What can I play? What song of of that can I play on on this on this piano?" <laughs> yeah, it didn't play Endorphin Machine, but anyway, <laughs> on this grand you, piano. But look, for those of us that were there at that first show, any any real special moments, highlights, anything that you guys want to talk about? I'll just say that was my favorite show, and I saw three of the yep. four Sydney shows. From, which was great from going to, from having zero tickets to acquiring tickets from some great people who helped me out. Thank you to those people. They know who they are. And I think the first one was my favorite show. And I think mostly because it was the first one. I agree. Like if I completely agree. a few people that we know went to all eight Melbourne and Sydney. And I think after, I, I mean, I saw three or four and I was, I was good with that. I wasn't too worried that I, I missed the third show, the first show at the State Theatre. I, I think if I saw more than maybe four shows, I, I would have had enough. So I, yeah. I was good with seeing three out of four, and the set lists were just different enough. You could have told me that before I. You could have told me that before I blew my bank account to Perth. <laughs> <laughs> At least we didn't go to Melbourne. Yeah, I, look, I agree with you, Captain. I saw three shows, and by that third show, during the third show, it started being, it was, by that stage, it was in, getting to indulgence stage, you know? 
and I don't regret it by any means. The third show was incredible because different set list, different venue. It was, it was beautiful. It was brilliant. But yeah, I mean, after two or three shows, that was enough. You start to water down the experience. I think uh, uh, if you do more, <laughs> Joe James, <laughs> sorry, he's just probably sitting there going, well, why, why don't you tell me that? Uh, just you wait, just you wait till you get to the shows you weren't there. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, anyway, I want to talk about show one. Okay. Show one. Uh, talk about it. <laughs> I, I agree with Captain. It was the best show. Of all the five I saw, it was the best show. And I think that is definitely a huge factor of just being the first one and not knowing what to expect. Yeah. But I, I also think it was the best show. I think it was the one that he was... I got the impression he was a little bit, not nervous, but a bit... He was really concentrating. He, was, he wasn't he was too relaxed where it was just like, a, you know, have a bit of fun kind of thing. Yeah, he was really he was trying, trying to put everything into it. He was yeah. trying to and make that was good. a great like, show. And it, it came off yeah. beautifully. Yeah, yeah, and I think... I agree with you guys, and I think it was the the occasion. It was it was playing the Sydney Opera yeah. House, and it yeah. was playing that first show at the Sydney Opera House is what it was. Yeah. I remember he came out in this shiny mauve outfit. That was pretty cool. Highlights for me, I said, it was the first time I'd ever heard If I Was Your Girlfriend live. All the Australian shows that I saw last time, just by whatever reason, I didn't get to see that one, which is one of my favorite songs, so I was really happy to hear that. I love the Little Red Corvette Dirty Mind mashup. Oh. I think that was one of the highlights of the tour. Incredible. And I, I, he seemed to stop playing the mashup the, 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 the further the two went on, which is a shame because I thought it was great because I think the whole thing is Little Red Corvette is all about trying to tell the girl to slow down. You know, slow down, girl, slow down. But then he's mixing it up with Dirty Mind. It's like he's trying to tell the girl to, to slow down, but at the same time, he's still got this dirty mind and he still wants to get on with it. So it's, <laughs> it's almost like he's in two minds about how to proceed, like, which is really cool. I remember Diamonds and Pearls got a huge reaction when it started. Well, that was huge in Australia. All the singles, the yeah. album was, and the tour yep. was just, I think it was more popular here maybe than most other places. Yeah, yeah. So when he started playing that, the, the crowd went nuts, I remember. Same with Cream. He's played Girls and Boys and Cream. And I remember he started playing Girls and Boys. I'm like, this is funky. And then he said went into Cream, which was good. And again, the crowd went nuts when he went to that one. Other highlights I've got... I was very impressed by his piano work. Oh, yeah. I remember watching the first show, and there was one moment where, and I didn't see him do it any of the rest of the tour, so maybe it was just my memory that, or maybe I thought I saw something that I didn't, but I swear I saw him at one point. He did something where he held certain keys down, and then he did the slide with the other hand, and which means it eliminates all the notes that sort of aren't in the scale. And it was just like a split-second thing like that, and it was just like, what the hell? Like, you know, I knew he was a good piano player, but I was really blown away by his piano playing in that first show, uh, which is great. I mean, he's not, I don't want to go over the top, he's not like Hiromi or something like that. But like you know, the oh, guy's a, a world class yes. piano player, Kung Fu um, champion. Something else I noticed. Maybe this is my memory. Did he have the cane in the first show? Because every show he brought out a cane, and I don't think he did on the first. Yeah, show. I didn't anyway, notice I it at the first one, but the second yeah. one he did, and the state he did. I remember Purple Rain. He said something about vanity. He said, you know, we recently lost someone close to us, and. So that gave Purple Rain a bit of a, an extra special thing. Some memories about the first show, not really Prince-related so much. I remember sitting next to this old lady. Uh, she was probably in the 60s. And uh, she sounded like a, like a really cool person who was like, just went like to go to different shows. And, and halfway through the first show, when he gets up and starts strutting around, she's like, oh, he's so egotistical. Oh, oh, he's so egotistical. It's like, yeah, that, that's Prince for you. So. And then there were these two women behind me who were like, they saw I had like four armbands on. They're like, oh, you go to all four shows and... And then they started telling me their stories about, oh, I went to the Sign of the Times tour in Sydney. And I'm like, no, you no, didn't. You didn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I swear it was the Sign of the Times tour. I'm like, no, it wasn't. <laughs> it's always funny the way people have these incorrect memories. I've also written down here, MC's reaction. I remember seeing you on the way out, and both of us were just like... Flawed. That was incredible. 
like just flawed. It's just like that was something like yeah, I was expecting was. it to be. Everyone I was, was expecting the show to be like just a glorified keyboard, like piano set that he does at Welcome to Australia or something. And it, in some ways it was, but in some ways it was so much more than that. It was just special, I think. And I remember, I just remember I wrote down MC's reaction because I just remember seeing you and we both had this moment of like, that was incredible. Yeah, well, we didn't, I remember looking at you after, as you said, when we were walking out of the concert hall, and I don't think we said a word to each other. Because I didn't go to that first show, and I, I was waiting outside, and then when everyone was coming out, I was trying to get... I was asking anybody how how it was, and like I couldn't get a straight answer out of anybody because they were just <laughs> <Yeah>. dumbfounded. Everyone's <laughs> just, just like oh, blah, blah 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 blah. Oh, it was amazing, blah, 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 you know. And <laughs> yeah, but that but that was also partly because they knew that you didn't get into that show, and they didn't want to tell you how great it was and make you feel bad. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, that <laughs> was because I I remember I came out to you, and I'm like, oh yeah, it was pretty good. <laughs> I didn't want to say it was the best thing ever. Because <laughs> you missed it. Uh, my final memory of the first show is that I remember looking at the merchandise beforehand and going, I'm not paying 50 bucks for a shirt, stuff that. And then, of course, you go and see the show, and then you walk out and you're like, just take my money, take my money, I'll take the shirt. <laughs> <laughs> take it all. Take it. <laughs> That's what he's hoping for. So was there this the, the one with the free yourself where everybody just went mental and just kept yeah, going? Yes. That was my other comment. That was one of my notes, actually. The yeah. chant. It must have got, it felt like 10 minutes. Of just it was probably about chanting. three. <laughs> yeah, but it was awesome, and he came back out and smashed it again. Yeah. That was that was a, that was a big surprise for me for a Sydney audience. Usually, Sydney audiences they're always just oh we're too cool to you know to do this, but yeah. they, not this one. They just went they went hard. Of all the free yourself chants, that was the best one. Everyone was just going nuts, and no one stopped. Yeah, I've said this about every show, but I found like first like two or three songs in every show. It was almost like the crowd. Not that they weren't like it, but they weren't sure how to react to it. And it was sort of subdued, but by the end of the sh- every show, he'd like had everyone in the palm of his hand. Like he knows how to manipulate a crowd, and it was it was amazing to see, like just watching everyone just slowly become like complete crazy fanatics by the end of the show. <laughs> yeah. One of my um uh, from the first show, oh, two things. One thing was I was surprised how many newer songs he played. Like he played yeah. Big City, he played Breakdown, he played Rock and Roll Love Affair, he played Screwdriver, he played Don't give him too many spoilers now. What else? He played Free Yourself, which hasn't even technically been released on an album yet. He's there was a lot of new songs in there which I wasn't expecting. It, this is this tour I think he's played more new songs than any recent tour. I mean it's still not yeah, a huge right. number, but it's more than he has played in a while. But there's that. But the other thing is I remember Waiting in Vain. Now, that's not even a Prince song. Whose song's that? Bob Marley. Bob Marley, yeah. That's Bob Marley. Mm. Yeah. See? But not, it's, yeah, it's Waiting in Vain, but not not in a way that you've heard it before, that's for sure. See, I've, I've never heard the original, but I was listening to that, and, you know, the, the the vanity thing still was still fresh in people's minds, and I'm listening to him sing that. Uh, that started me thinking. That's all I'll say. Captain was getting emotional, maybe? Well, no, I'm, I'm listening to these lyrics, and I'm like, I don't know this song, but listen to these lyrics, and then I'm looking at him, and then I'm thinking about her, and then I'm listening t- to the lyrics, and I'm looking at him, and I'm just thinking, wow, this is this is something different. And I'm in the it opera house. It seems like the set, list, the set lists were like one-third hits, one-third new songs, and the others was um, covers. So it's a good mix of... Mm. All three. And rarities as well. Like, there were a lot of yeah. sort of odd songs that mm. you wouldn't expect him to play. And snippets of songs as well, yeah. That's the best thing about not having a band. You can do whatever you want. Mm. You can just go, oh, the crowd is sort of going this way, then I'll, oh, that, that, that'll, this song will fit right here then. Let's go. 
And that was the that was the best thing about it. Yeah, I imagine he'd get a lot of freedom. He'd get I agree. A lot of freedom I, from that. I was going to say this at the end, but I'll say it now. Like for me, the highlight of the whole shows was just watching him improvise between songs. Like you can see, he's playing a song and he's sort of got a set thing of what he's doing. And then, okay, now I need to go to this song. And just watching him take like thirty seconds a minute to improvise his way into this next song was really cool. Mm. And the, so I love that about the shows about how they're all different for that reason. They're all slightly different. There was no show that was uh, like even when the set list was similar, it felt different. But I did notice he had at least like three or four of those like bridging parts that he used. And by the third show, I was noticing them more and more because every, t- every, yeah. every any time he played anything, I'm like, oh, what's this song? And then by the third show, I'm like. Oh, that's that bit that he just plays in between, you know, this and that. So there was a few of those bits which he used, you know, a fair bit just to get from here to there. And, you know, yeah. the more shows you saw, the more you you were recognizing those. But it was a good show. Well, he didn't do any of my tweet posts because he probably doesn't know who the hell Rob is. Rob S. is. <laughs> but, I, but I had extraordinary and empty room in one of my tweets. So. We didn't get any of that. Yeah, I don't think he's pl- he played either of those yet, has he? No, uh, extraordinary would have been nice. Yeah, everyone was asking for things like extraordinary and like power. Power fantastic would have been freaking amazing if he did that. Yeah, all that. Uh, yeah, and then there was purple rain, Brits. <laughs> you know, two of those opera house shows. The same guy. He's like, "You're a genius." <laughs> did you hear that guy? <laughs> I got a, I got, a, I got a Perth story of similar. You can't help them. But You'd think the ticket prices were high enough they couldn't get in, but they still got in somehow. <laughs> if you indulge me just for a second, because I've got a few memories of that first show, I agree that it was the best show of the tour, uh, the, certainly the best of the Sydney shows that I saw, and probably only because, well, I won't say only, a big factor w- was that it was the first show that I saw. But I, looking back on it now, I do actually feel it was overall the best. Uh, I think Tojo made the same sort of point earlier. He was in the zone and he had, it was like, you know, when the kid's in rare form, he had something to prove. Uh, it was a momentous occasion opening up at the Sydney Opera House that night, uh, early show. So I think that had a lot to do with it. But for me, an early highlight, I think it was the second or third song from memory, was Joy and Repetition, one of my favorite Prince songs of all time. And the minute he played that, a really soulful version, so darn so- soulful. Uh, that version was, I knew that was going to be a beautiful night. I mean, his voice was ridiculous. Across that low mid-register, it just became, it was gospel, really. And, you know, with that, he went into another favorite of mine, and I'm not going to go through the set list, but this was, for me, another early highlight. When the lights go down, I was thinking, are you kidding me to do this song you know, I'm, I'm five meters away from the stage, and he's and he's doing a piano and voice version of "When the Lights Go Down." Incredible, you know. And and that song particularly special for me because it brought back memories for me from when I saw him in Switzerland in 2009. So yeah, yeah, uh, that yeah. was cool. <laughs> that's a no. funny song that one because I love the, I love the album version, but I've never sold on it live. It always sounds a bit mm. dorky live. It's uh, yeah, uh, he could. He could sing the phone book over over those piano <laughs> chords, and I'd love that. I I just love that song for some reason. But his scatting during that song was really cool to hear as well. It was at this point that I began to think, you know, holy cow. I began to really think to myself, holy cow, Batman, this guy can play those keys. I mean, I knew he could play. We all knew he could play. Yeah, but the problem is, is in the last 
few years when he's relied on sampler sets, you kind of forget. You forget. Yeah. But, but he can, I mean. Yeah, he can, man. It's not he can play. He can seriously play. Yeah. From the transitions to the runs. Uh, it's just ridiculous. It, it really was ridiculous. Uh, Toe James spoke about Little Red Corvette transitioning into a dirty mind. you got to keep in mind, I had, keep in mind, pardon the pun, I didn't know Dirty Mind was coming. So out of all the songs that he played that night, that song blew my mind the most. I think that was one because we were talking about it, like, in the pre-show. Uh, it's incomprehensible to hear that song in 2016, done like and, that. And we were talking about songs that might come up. And I think at this stage, myself, Captain, and Player had read the, the set lists of the um, Paisley Park show. And Rob was, like, just throwing names out. And you said Dirty Mind, and all the rest of us just went quiet. Like... <laughs> Luckily, yeah. I can't remember that, so it didn't it didn't ruin the surprise. But you know, his voice was it was awesome. It was it was almost like it was nineteen eighty all over again. So um, you know, his voice throughout that little medley of of Little Red Corvette, Dirty Mind was awesome. The little runs that he was doing on the keys were astonishing to hear. Actually, I've got to mention about his vocals. I don't know. In the last album review, we were talking about you know, as you're getting older, maybe he's not you know hitting the notes. He was hitting everything in this tour. Yeah, I agree. And he was hitting things cleanly and then sometimes not so cleanly. But that kind of, that was cool as well to hear that raw voice sometimes too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But it, yeah, it was just amazing that, you know, that removed all doubt for me, like those shows. Like he's, he's still got that, that falsetto and everything. But MC, yeah. it wasn't that long ago we were talking about he might not have lost like any top notes like of his range, but the sound of that falsetto is getting a bit thinner. What do you yes. say about that now? After seeing I think it is. I think it's, I think it, yeah, I think you're right. It is, his falsetto is, it's evolved. Let's put it that way. Like it is a little different. It's different, but, but it's I, no worse. It's no what? worse. I find, I actually find there were points where it started to break a little bit when he was really hitting some of those high notes and it actually sounded rawer. I don't know if that's a word, but it sounded more raw to me, which is really cool. Cause a lot, a lot of the times on studio tracks, you know, they gloss over it or they do it, you know, you hear post-production work and all this sort of yeah. stuff. But Or he does it 16 times until it's perfectly right. Yeah, exactly. But hearing him push his voice in a concert hall mm. is, again, I don't want to overuse the word, but that's unique. And just hear every little inflection in his voice and his vocal cords. I mean, that was really, that was pretty remarkable. So, And, and the breakdown was another very early highlight for me. It was a tear-jerking moment. I mean, I was in another world by that point. I had no idea that I was going to hear all these newer-type songs and rarities. In particular, his singing on that track was just really affecting. His screams throughout all, all the shows were pretty crazy. If you're going to talk about screams, you cannot not mention How Come You Don't Call Me Anymore. That was one yeah, of the yeah, highlights was, of every show. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was so good every time. It was remarkable, and it really it was limitless. You know, I thought I've heard that before, but every time he pulls it off and it's just flawless, you know. And, and you know, you guys spoke about how he played a couple of new songs, so I won't talk too much about them. But I will say that underlying a lot of the newer tracks was this New Orleans boogie-woogie piano-type playing. And I was thinking, when he started playing that, I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> what? Like, where did this... Like, I, I thought I knew Prince. Where did this come from? It was like listening to... Professor Longhair playing a piano with, with a church with a church singer. You know, I loved hearing him play that. But by again by the third show, I realised he was playing basically the same riff for like four different songs. True, that is true. Yeah, but, it but still I mean, worked. Boogie, it was fine. 
Boogie Woogie's pretty limiting. You know, you can only do a, a fair few things with it. But he was really breaking it down. I mean, Mavis Staples would have been proud. <laughs> I was really, I was really grooving to this. His, per- it's that percussive piano style that you don't hear on studio recordings much. It was ever. cool actually because it's it's kind of a dated kind of sound. Yes, it's, uh, it's old school. It's like ragtime. It's, yeah. it's just awesome. But he's, he thumps it hard, which is good. Yeah. And yeah, he had, just to, right he had to fill that space as well. You know, when it's just you and a piano, yeah. you've got to do that. Yeah. yeah. But you guys are right. He was thumping those keys. And supposedly uh, someone said that on one side of the piano, he had a bucket full of ice and some tissues or something. But he, so he was wiping his fingers. He was playing that hard at some some points throughout those I shows. Noticed, I can't remember which show it was. I remember, I remember one show, he actually looked at his finger like, oh, man, my fingers are hurting. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of pressure. It's like it's all on you, right? You, yeah. you, you've got to do it. I chipped the nail. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, yeah, so that percussive piano style was incredible to hear. I thought some of the newer songs would would translate not the best in this sort of setting, but boy, was I wrong. They really worked. He had a few really, really nice ballads. I love you, but I don't trust you was was a beautiful highlight. I mean, that song when he does it these days is just emotion filled, transcendent. His voice was real and pure. Yeah. And it was incredible. I mean, Captain disagrees with that. <laughs> yeah, with the, with the song or with his voice being real and pure. Oh. No, it's. I just don't think that song is that great. That his yeah, performance of it was great, but every time I hear that song, I'm just like, yeah, I've heard this song, and well, I, you can't and argue I still don't before. like it that much. You know, I'm not saying it's a good or a bad song. I just don't like it. That's just me. No. But by the third show, when he's playing that again, I'm like, oh, this song again. Well, another again, another highlight was just a really quick instrumental bit from Ballad of Dorothy Parker. That was awesome. You know, the, the, the runs that he does there, the jazz, uh, jazzy runs on the piano were remarkable. It just got chills up my spine thinking about that. Four, yeah. Four, four yeah. Madhouse. Yeah. Exactly. That's um, right. He'd always go into like a little improv part yeah. um, within that. That was cool. Yeah, and he'd do that for some of his 80s material. Example, Strange Relationship. That's got to be one of the funkiest piano parts of <laughs> all time. Strange Relationship. It's just... Like when he gets to those bass notes... Oh man! And in the opera house, it just—it sounded so lush and so deep, you know, so raw, incredible. The crowd was loving it. By this point in the show, which is kind of almost halfway, they're eating out of the, out of out of his hands. I mean, he's got everyone just transfixed. There were a couple of covers, as we said. How come you don't call me anymore? As the Captain said, brought the house down. It's always awesome. The call and response is is great. His falsetto was, you know, fantastic. But the low, the low register, register as well, yeah. at its world. I'm thinking, man, this guy. I looked around me a few times, and I think people maybe that weren't as familiar with some of his work, and particular with his vocal abilities, were a little bit surprised by, you know, that you listen to this high falsetto vocal, and then one bar, a couple of bars later, he's singing in that low baritone almost. Yeah, that's pretty insane. Yeah, that's just that's just the same as, you know, people who watch that and they're amazed, like, oh, wow, he can do that. And you're like, oh, you know, he plays guitar too. You know, just people who don't have a clue about things, you know. Yeah. It's just yeah. funny. But it was still it was still cool seeing that, that look of wonder and amazement on people's faces. So that was cool. He was ad-libbing throughout the shows, hand claps. There was plenty of good times, you know. I was just happy to hear, like, the classic piano songs, like Condition of the Heart and Venus de Milo and Under the Cherry Moon, you know, the classic Crap. things that you you know from, like, the, the love sexy piano medley and Strange, yeah. strange Relationship. He's like, oh, that's it. He's playing them all. Yeah. And when would you ever hear that, you know, in this format? Ones, you know, you on would. piano. Oh, crazy. Crazy. It's craziness. And Toe Jam mentioned before, uh, If I Was Your Girlfriend's one of his favorite songs, that combination of Waiting in Vain 
and if I was your girlfriend, was really something else, truly. It was just deep emotion. Again, chills throughout my spine throughout that part of the show. I think his voice has never sounded this deep and emotive, just to the fact that it's pure voice into a microphone, you know, just yeah. washing over the audience. It, it, I think it really needs to be... For anyone that saw the tour, I bet they probably agree, but for anyone that's about to see any other piano and microphone shows in future... It really needs to be felt and heard in the flesh, personal. You've got to be there to yeah, feel that experience. A lot of the sort of, you know, Welcome to America shows, the sort of big, big, big shows like that, like he spends half the time yelling into the microphone, talking to the crowd, like, come on, everybody, clap along, you know. Mm. And by the end of the show, you actually a bit, you find his voice a bit grating. Yeah. Um, so this was good because it was just him singing the whole time. So Yeah, for sure. I, you know, that's what the, fo- it's a showcase of piano and voice, right? So we got what the, what the billboard said. See, both the State Theatre and Opera House are only, what, a bit over 2,000 seats each, 2,200, 2,500, something like that. There's not yeah, really, there's not really an awful seat. You know, like you were just saying, you know, it's, it's there to be experienced and felt. It's not that important where you're sitting. Like for the, this, the first show, I was, you know, again, ticket companies releasing much closer tickets, what, two days before the show. When they opened it up to 360, I got a seat right behind the stage. The sound was not very good there at all, but I was a lot closer. But, um, I could see, I couldn't see his face because he was facing the other way, but I could see his hands like the whole show. And that was just insane, just watching that. But yeah, it doesn't really matter where you sit. You're, you're either going to see his, see something, but it doesn't even matter what you see. You, you just need to listen and experience that. Particularly that opera house show that got rid of that kaleidoscope background Mm. thing and so you know you weren't really distracted by that or anything it was just it mainly made him in the round in that sort of format so you know it was it was great all the melbourne shows they had that kaleidoscope thing yeah every show had that kaleidoscope thing but which is which is a cool thing to watch but like i'm glad that they didn't have that in the opera house house, what they were doing they were projecting it from the top so down onto the piano on the floor down onto the ground yeah Mm. which from where i was sitting like up behind at the back i could see it perfectly on the floor on the stage but i I guess everyone else in the stalls couldn't see it really no i yeah i i have no idea what you guys are talking about because from (laughs) where i was seated (laughs) i couldn't see anything really there was a little bit of stage lighting but not a lot well i noticed it in the second show because i was closer and and i noticed the lighting effects a lot more because i think i was i was already aware of the first show so i was taking more of that sort of stuff in Mm. anyway let's and we all finished talking about the first show yeah again once again it doesn't matter if it's an album or a thing we spent way too long on the first one that's true so let's go into show show number two yay Uh, player take it away (laughs) tell us your thoughts i mean you this was your first experience through the door yeah so like i said it was electrifying the um introduction where he comes out and he opens the show with love though will be done and what's interesting about that particular track is it's the first time he performed it in australia he didn't do it in melbourne he did it in this show and the morning of the shows on rage they had a print special where they played some of his tracks but mainly associated artists and it was kind of like a vanity tribute as well they played her videos but they also played love that will be done so from the actual prince twitter account the actual tweet came out is is everyone watching rage because there's you know like the print special on yeah that's because i tweeted him i tweeted him yeah early that that was on turn on rage and watch abc and then right. an hour, and then an hour later prince tweets out oh i hope everyone's watching rage or something right and that particular song was was in it so he must have been watching it and thought to himself yeah i'm gonna do this in the show tonight so he did so that was a really interesting thing that he's incorporated that into the shows and then from there it went into basically very similar to show one track wise 
few different ones like the Max. Yes. Captain's favorite, that was which is great. really good. I yeah. did miss Tony M, but you know, Prince sang some of the bits, but it's not the same. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you could have dragged Kirky out for it. Yeah, why, why didn't Kirky come out and do the dance or something? It would have been great. No, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he also did a door. Which, come on, I mean, ah. Opera House, a door, forget it. And he did Purple Music, which was great. Oh, Purple Music. <laughs> yeah, so... Oh, and he I did mean, Thousand were... Hugs and Kisses as well at this one, the second yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that was the highlight for me on this show, Thousand Hugs. That was cool. Because the album version's like more of a minor key thing, and this one was more of a major key one. Yeah. Which is probably more like the original version, but it's such a great song. I love that song. Yeah, it is very good. So, um... Yeah, I mean, it was it was just fun to watch. Really, really fun to watch. So, how did you feel when you walked out of that show? Oh, I was blown away. Blown away. Because, I mean, I've seen Prince many times, but never like that. And also, too, like, especially the 2003 tour, you know, he brought out, you know, towards the end, like, the keyboard. It had that Mercedes-Benz grill, you know, at the front. Mm. And he did do, like, a piano thing. But this is... It's it's such a different thing, this thing. There's something about this that's really special. And, you know, he doesn't take a break. He doesn't do costume changes. You know, every other tour, even when there's a band, you know, the band go off and probably have a bit of a rest while he takes over on the sampler set or whatever. But, you know, he's controlling the whole show. You know, it's just him, the piano... And that's it. You know, I also too, I really dug, for those who haven't seen the show, like he has an iPad on top of the piano, you know, and it's, it's fascinating. Like he's just playing and he's singing and he's performing, but also too, he's flicking through this iPad. Like he's keeps swiping and, you know, he's looking for songs or I don't even know what he's looking for, but you know, it's just fascinating to watch how he controls everything. And it's just, just really great, great to watch. The thing in this second show is he, he teased us with 10 seconds, the start of Anastasia. Uh, it was about he, 20 seconds. Did... I, um, oh, I damn near lost my mind when that happened. That's he thing. was like, he's playing those chords and he's just like looking up in the light. Yeah, you know, the right. light's coming down. He's just looking up and he's just playing it. And it's like, yeah. And then he just cut to like Diamonds and Pearls after that. It's like, ah. Uh. See, that brings me to one of my annoyances of this tour is, I don't know whether it's down to him or it's down to the crowd, but it seemed like any of the lesser known songs, like he, he started free, but he only played it for a few seconds and he played something like, you know, just stuff that there wasn't much crowd reaction and then he'd just go, oh, okay then, and move on to something more well-known to get the, the big reaction from the crowd. And that started, again, by the th- second, third show, That was I was noticing it more and more and I'm like, stop doing that, play it. Yeah. <laughs> the <laughs> less play, reaction play you well. get, the more you should keep playing it, not the other way around. <laughs> exactly, because people are, people are listening to you when you're playing. Yeah. Like they're, they're intently listening to you, but... You know what I also noticed was those moments that you're talking about, people actually did yell out to start with. Yeah, there were a few. Uh, there, there was the hardcore, but that wasn't enough for him. He needed the majority yeah. to lose it. So moving on to Purple Rain or something else. Because you, you were talking about before how there were a lot of snippets and instrumentals, condition of the heart, all this sort of stuff. I don't know if he did this in the second show. My memory's a bit hazy on this one. But he did uh, Under the Cherry Moon instrumental, maybe at the first Sydney Opera House show. Yeah, Yeah, it was the first one. Yeah, and it felt like being in another time. Like, I couldn't believe what I was hearing to start with and how beautiful his playing was throughout that song. But then he didn't do the whole song. He only did a little bit of it. Uh, Mm. But people did yell out. And, yeah, I don't know. To to answer your question, I don't know what the answer is. I don't think we have an answer. It does uh, make me wonder what the mix 
of the crowd was. I mean, mm. you'd think it would be mostly hardcore fans. I mean, casual fans aren't going to go out and spend, you know, $400 on a ticket. Yeah, not in, not in mass. I mean... So, I mean, you'd think it would have had to be at least, like, maybe 60%, you know, serious... Yeah. Prince fans, but then there mm. still were your average guys who just went there just to go. Oh yeah, I went to Prince at the Opera House. Oh, I'm so cool. There were a lot of people in the shows that I like, like the women I was talking to you about. They're Prince fans, but a lot of them I think really haven't been following what he's done for the last twenty years, sort of thing. Yeah. So it's like they have this memory of Prince in the eighties, and, and that's it. <laughs> uh, and you know, you can't say they're not fans, but it's like it's a different kind of fandom. Yeah, it was, it's funny. At one of the, we'll talk about State Theatre in a second, but. <laughs> I, when I sat down, there was a woman next to me, and I think she was there with her son. And I asked her what her favorite Prince song was on the back of her saying that she was a massive fan. And even before then, I said, oh, you're a massive fan. Have you seen him live before? She goes, yeah, but it was many, many years ago. And I said, oh, well, you know, roughly when was it? And, you know, what, what did you see? She goes, oh, I saw him oh, back in 1992 uh, at the Royal Albert Hall and it was incredible. What? And I'm thinking, he's never played the Royal Albert Hall. Yeah. As far as I know. It was one of those funny, funny moments. And then I said, oh, what's your favorite song? And she said, oh, Raspberry Beret. If he plays of Raspberry course. Beret, I'll be <laughs> in heaven. And, uh, and then she said, oh, what's your favorite song? And I said, oh, I... Endorphin Machine! <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't give you one. And she goes, oh, just choose one. Like, what, what would you want to hear tonight? And I said, like, poker face, like Buster Keaton style. I just go, crystal ball. <laughs> <laughs> and she looked at me like... I like Never heard of it. You're in the wrong gig. Yeah, Sonny Jim, you're at the yeah, wrong gig. She had obviously no idea what I'm talking about. And then she goes, oh, I don't know that one. What else? What else? What's your other favorite song? I was like, gee, what else would I want to hear tonight? And I said, join repetition. And again, she was just blank. And by that stage, I, I knew that it was it wasn't going anywhere. And then, and just for kicks, I go, pardon the pun. I go, damn you. And again, no. And then I was like, if he plays courting time, I'll be really <laughs> yes. Just oh my god, why didn't he play courting time? That would have been yeah, the best no. thing ever. And then when I saw that she really wasn't getting the joke or, or wasn't having a good time. <laughs> I didn't even want to say this, but I just said the beautiful ones. And then she's oh, like, Oh, I love that one. Like, yeah. Oh, I think I know that one. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, my gosh. But, um, yeah, you know, so there were people like that in the audience, which is fine, but it's just funny having these conversations. But I remember her and other, others like her walking out of the show shocked, completely in awe. And they'll probably all be, or most of them will be hardcore fans going forward, you know, but it's just funny. Funny the, yeah, experiences you have. Okay, oh. just on the back of that, is there any Prince songs that you wanted him to do that he didn't do that you would like to see him do? Court in Time. Okay. That'd be Court amazing. Imagine imagine his voice, the sound of his voice singing that. What else? White, uh, White Mansion. On uh, this Piano and Mike tour, right? That's what you're asking? Yeah, yeah. I mean, was there a song that you were hoping for and he didn't do it? And There were a few, actually. Yeah. I'm it's thinking... not such a big catalogue, it's hard to... Yeah, it is... It's really hard to say. I wanted to hear Endorphin Machine, but that's every tour. I don't care. I, if it's, <laughs> I don't care if it's just piano. He can still play it. There's a lot of keyboard in Endorphin Machine. He could easily the play electric it. keyboard. Yeah. yeah. I would have loved to have heard the latter. Oh yes. I would love to have heard DLI. Oh man, you're killing me. I would love to have heard Play in the Sunshine in that New Orleans piano <laughs> boogie woogie type style. That would have been crazy. Anastasia full version. I mean, those first chords were probably the highlight of that of yes. that second show. What was the highlight? There was twenty seconds of the two hours was the highlight. It was Anastasia intro. Yeah. 
It sounded just out of this world amazing. Yeah, so there's plenty of songs. I mean, it, but even more, even more recent stuff. I think um, I don't know if Dolphin would work, but yeah, uh, work. it's hard to say. It's hard to say on piano, I guess. Solo. <laughs> I'm getting a bit carried away now, but. <laughs> You just know, go back and listen to the Opera stuff. House Challenge show. And you'll hear them all there. <laughs> it's funny that we're on this subject because I have Prince's iPad in front of me right now and I've just <laughs> filled it with pink cashmere and insatiable. Yeah, so every time he flicks it, he's just all he, that's all he's going to see. I think he did Perfect. just play that in the Oakland show. What song? He played Pink Cashmere. Are you kidding? No. Yes. No. Yes. No. He did. Missed it. See, I've already programmed this iPad. Yep. <laughs> There's the power feature black. We recorded, yeah, for, for just for record, we recorded this show two days before the first Oakland show. <laughs> <laughs> what Oakland show? Those are coming up, aren't they? You looked into I just, your crystal I want to say, because um, we're still kind of on show two, I guess. I want to say um, it was kind of odd, like, leaving the Opera House and then coming back in. And then, as player said, like, the set list was, it wasn't exactly the same, but it was, it was very similar. And I remember thinking it was kind of odd. It, to me, it wasn't like, it was still the same show. Mm. Uh, in terms, it didn't it feel was, like two different shows. It, it felt like a, like an intermission. Yeah, it felt, it felt like, like the same show, yeah. And then, because it felt like an intermission, it was weird kind of watching him do half the songs he'd already just done. Mm. So it was kind of odd, that second show. But the other thing I said was, I just took more notice of the lights. And uh, I think it was a joint repetition. The lights were just really, like, oozing. And I had amazing seats for this one like i think i was like maybe six rows back like right in the center and it was just it was an amazing experience purple music i want to say about purple music uh your hands i i love purple music song yeah it's great i was a little bit disappointed with it because it was just sung along to that that groove that he's been doing with all the all the other songs like ipso songs he was doing that groove and then he just put lyrics over the top of it i was really kind of hoping he did purple music like the piano boot which is uh what oh did i say that anyway but anyway i wouldn't be surprised if if Perf Music is one that he's, like, working on, like Extra Lovable, like... Could be on Phase uh, 3. Reworking. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a song he's re-recorded and he's going to release soon. Reboot. Rebooted. That's what you meant to say a second ago, wasn't it? It'll be called Welcome to the Freedom Galaxy. Because some of the lyrics were, like, they were tweaked and changed, and it seemed like it wasn't just him making it up on the fly. It was seemed like it was prepared, so... Like, he doesn't say, don't need a cymbal, no saxophone. He says, don't need no, I can't remember, it was like iPad and no telephone or something. <laughs> don't need a computer, no telephone, something like that. Computer. Like, computer. That's how he says it. Computer. <laughs> <laughs> Things you notice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just before I forget, A Case of You, first show, not a dry eye in the house. I, I was overwhelmed by emotion. This was really special. It was rare. His piano parts, again, he gave it that personal touch. I just wanted to, to put that in there. And and before I forget, I know we're talking about show number two, but really across both shows, I thought there were parts of both concerts where he turned Sydney Opera House into a church. I mean, the piano was firing on, on all cylinders. His voice was. It, was. it wasn't just soul and purple piano. It was gospel soul. That's the way I would put it. Even when he was doing things that you guys have mentioned, like Diamonds and Pearls, throwing it in and the audience singing along and the beautiful ones, the, the chords that he was using were a little bit... Yeah. Often, I don't know how to describe it, I feel like he wasn't even really playing the songs. He was playing a sequence of chords... And then he was kind of singing the melodies of the, of these songs, whether it's Diamonds and Pearls or Beautiful Ones, over the top of them. Beautiful Ones probably not the best example, but you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't yeah. always the stock standard rendition of, of the songs as we know them. He was really playing around with that. So that was, that was the interesting, like, just the unique experience. I did really notice that, though, with um, Thousand Hugs and Kisses. 
he was singing those like all the instrumental parts as yeah, well as the lyrics. Cool. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was cool because yeah. the first time I did it, I'm like, "What's he singing? Oh, he's doing yeah. the bit." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there were some medleys, but you know, kept to a minimum, pretty much. I think a bit of question of you, which which was just instrumental. But the way he transitioned from song to song, and I think all of you have touched on that, on this. He loves playing around with audiences. I think you know, seeing what works, what doesn't, and then also teasing fans and annoying the hell out of Captain. Yeah. <laughs> Not delivering full songs and just playing snippets, but um, I think overall it really worked. When you think about the number of songs that he did, you know, Cream's a massive pop hit. Girls and Boys is an album track. Diamonds and Pearls is a massive pop hit. Girls and Boys technically was a yeah. single. Well, yeah, single, but, In you know. one country, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and the other thing I have to say is, again, I know we're probably going too far into the, the songs themselves, but for me, Sometimes It Snows in April was probably one of the highlights of the entire tour. I mean, there's almost have to pause before I talk about this one. It's almost like words don't suffice. You know, it's even hard to talk about it. I don't know if there's a more perfect, a more impactful, a more emotional, a more stunning song in his entire discography. I'm not sure there is. Uh, and he, and he did a full version of that. I can't remember what show it was, but I know he did a full version of that in the Sydney opera house. And, and that was remarkable. Captain, you mentioned Condition of the Heart, and I just wanted to say something really quickly. This was only instrumental at the Sydney Opera House shows. Yeah. It was incredible, but it was only piano. Correct. Um, and the way that he bashed those keys was just extraordinary. It was like exaltation. I was transfixed. You know, we could go on and on. Nothing compares to you. Can this night get any better? That's all I thought. I was speechless. Thick, chunky chords. He was just striking them, full of emotion. He, he, he almost made me well up. In fact, by that point in the show, the kind of nothing compares to you purple rain part, people around me were crying. I mean, grown folk were crying. There was a guy that um, I used to work with a few rows behind me. I turned back during nothing compares to you and he, he had tears rolling down his cheeks. It was indescribable the effect that Prince's voice and his piano playing and noodling had. And uh, the other thing I'll say is just about his piano, you know, we've all said, oh, you know, you can play, it's unique, this, that, or the other. For me, it was, it was almost, some of the parts were kind of monkish. I'm talking about Thelonious Monk, obviously. You know, he was, he was doing things that sounded a little bit atonal sometimes, some things that kind of almost didn't work, but that he'd pull them back in. And the way that he played those bass keys, or bass notes, truly stunning, especially in the opera house. Because it wasn't amplified to the max, you could just hear every little crevice and creak as he was playing, you know, so... I never thought he would do this piano only or piano and voice only. Are you kidding me? <laughs> who does that? Uh, who does that? And all four of us, all four of us experienced that. You know, I said people started crying around me and I felt at home. I felt at home to do a little bit of that myself because tears were rolling down my face. By the time Prince went into Purple Rain, you know, and it's a song that if you're a hardcore fan, you've heard a million times before, but there was a, there was a pain and a sadness in his voice. You know, the last few chords of this were just... You no know. matter how many times you've heard Purple Rain, though, it's still <sighs> yeah. got some impact when he's right in front of it you does, doing yeah. it. Even if yeah. you've been to six shows or you've been to 85 shows, you still, you know, it's still a powerful song. Even though, yeah. as I've said, musically, it's a very basic song. But when you get all them people singing that bit at the end, man, yeah. it, it does something. Yeah, get it. it does, yeah. 
Yeah, it does. It's it just like um, the opener from show two. You know, Love Thy Will Be Done not only took me completely by surprise, but had to, has to be one of the most emotional performances of that whole weekend. Mm. Tears go here. I mean, there were parts in that song where you could, you could, he wasn't just singing it. He was living that song. Like you could feel the emotion through his voice like nothing else. One thing I'll say about the Opera House shows is compared to the one show that I saw at the State Theatre, the sound was way better at the State Theatre, which really surprised me. I disagree, it's, it's, actually. It's the Sydney Opera House. It was designed for, you know, acoustics and everything. Maybe it was more designed for, like, strings and voice. Maybe not for all these boogie-woogie bass notes on a piano. But at times, it sounded really muddy to me. And a lot of other people have said the same thing. They've said the, the state sounded a lot better. The vocals were fine, but the bottom third of that keyboard didn't sound great. It sounded a lot better at State Theatre, I think. And you disagree? Yeah, I don't know. I do. Only because I thought they were pretty similar. Like, it wasn't like one was muddy and the other one was clear. I thought it was like, eh, they were both pretty good as far as... <laughs> You want to you want to talk about bad sound? Imagine watching this tour in uh, Sydney, uh, Sydney Entertainment Centre, or what what it what it, I don't know what it's called now, but it used to be called the Sydney Entertainment Centre or All Phones Arena or something. That that wouldn't have been particularly good, I don't think. So. Well, we'll get to the arena comments soon. Well, I remember uh, the Brisbane the first Brisbane show, uh, the Welcome to Australia tour, when he played. How come I don't? How come you don't call me anymore on piano? It was great. It was so distorted. Yeah. We talked about that in our show yeah, four yeah. years ago. Yeah, so amazing choice of venues. I have to, you know, we did, we're, obviously we're talking about them, Sydney Opera House State Theatre, but really incredible choice of venues for these performances. Not only are they relatively small and intimate, but, you know, yep, some of the shows might have had better, or venues might have had better sound than others. Overall, I think it's pretty safe to say that it was a pretty high bar as far as seeing a performer like Prince, Prince. in a venue like those venues was... You know what I was surprised by, though? You know, I wasn't really expecting him to film it for, like, a DVD release or anything, which would have been amazing. But even, like, I know he films his own shows and, like, reviews them afterwards or chucks them in the vault or whatever. But I didn't see any cameras at all. Like, I really would have thought he would have filmed it somewhat for his own personal collection. But there was nothing I was that I saw. I was thinking mm. about this just, like, yesterday. And it, I figured it out. Yes, he probably recorded the audio. Yeah, I would have thought he would have recorded, even if it was just one camera sitting up on the desk there to film it. But who knows? But I figured out the reason why he might not have recorded the video. Because, you know, after the shows, he goes back, watches the DVD, gets band members in. Oh, look at this mistake you did. Oh, that's I'm going to fine you 500 bucks for that. He can't do that here. <laughs> because there's no one to find but himself. There's no point. It's a pointless exercise when it's a solo show. That's why. I figured it out. I, I broke the code. He's not going to find himself. I was just going to say that there were parts of the, the Opera House show, in particular show two with, you know, Thousand Hugs and Kisses and Love They Will Be Done and, and even Purple Music, that piano sounded really, ha like, just, I've said the word soulful, but also quite haunting. And, and his, again, in his, his vocals, that mid-range power in his voice was incredible. So... You know, we had the musical aspect, then we had the vocal aspect, then we had the, the vibe of the shows. And one thing that we haven't even spoken about yet, or at least, oh no, we did, but, but maybe not at length, is Adore. Was that the only time that he played more or less the whole song on the tour? I don't know about Melbourne, but I think it was the only time he played 
you know, most of the song in Sydney anyway. It's the only time he did it in Sydney, yeah. So whoever was at the second Sydney Opera House show was really lucky. I mean, it was a welcome surprise. I was feeling the love. It's a sweet number. It got people feeling romantic. I mean, that three minutes worth or whatever it was of Adore is a highlight as well. And not only of the night, but of the whole tour. You know, one of his greatest songs, delivered on piano and voice. His falsetto is boundless. And it made everyone in the concert hall you know, hold their significant other or think of their significant other, I'm sure. Um, yep. It was really something, you know. When he sings those lyrics, it takes you to another place. So The old lady I was sitting next to, I gave her a hug in the scene. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for that couple of hours, we were all, it was it was like we were all one, I think, you know. There's parts during Prince concerts, and this was definitely one of them where you just feel like you're part of a, a crowd feeling the same sort of thing. and. Do you know what? This I think this is like the most positive show we might have ever done. <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah. There's been hardly any negative things at all. Well the crazy thing is you could take his voice off. That's the thing. That's why it's so positive. I think it's just musically you'd have Anyone who appreciates music would love this. Because there's no dances, no lights, camera action, smoke, smoke screens. Bells and whistles. Yelling bells and whistles, screens. Or, there's none of that bananas. The piano playing on its own. If if he just played piano for two hours with no vocal, it would have been improvisational, soulful, tuneful, measured, stunning, whatever other superlative you want to throw at it. And that would have been good enough. You just need to be a, a music lover to appreciate these shows. You don't even need, even need to be a Prince fan per se, so... I think that's why they were they got such an incredible reception. Yeah, I'm pretty speechless just thinking about all the mem- memories are coming back to me now. A couple of things, a couple of stories I just remembered. Uh, Nick West at the Sydney Opera House. I remember <laughs> when I came in and got my seat, I noticed the seat in front of me was empty at that point. And this was, you know, only a few minutes before the show started. And then I saw Nick West. And now Nick West had this massive, like, purple headpiece on, like, literally like this, I don't know what you call it. Like, Mo- it's, it's like, it was in a style a mo- of a mohawk. Or yeah, like this big blob of a yeah. mohawk purple head. It's mohawk. But it's it's shaped like a bass clef. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. That makes sense. Anyway, so I saw her working walking down this next aisle, and thinking, "Oh no, please don't sit in front of me. Please don't sit in front of me." And thankfully, she didn't. There was another spare seat that she sat down, and I just remember looking over to the lady behind her, who just had this look like, "Oh no, <laughs> like I've got to sit behind this big purple mop of a thing." Um, and I also remember at the second opera house show, a guy got, got kicked out in front of me. Um, he was just filming like nonstop, and you know they're flashing the lights at him and they're flashing him again. And, le- and then after like five ten minutes of it, they just grab him. Out you go, and see you later. So no mucking around, no mucking around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, think I kind of felt a little bit sorry for him because I got the impression he was either really drunk or a bit slow. He wasn't quite there in the head. A bit slow, oh. yeah. And I felt I thought if he's a bit slow, I felt really sorry for him because before the sh- like he was really enjoying it up to then. So. Yeah. Yeah, but well, everyone was it's warned, on the ticket. They filmed several it. times. Yeah, I yeah. think. Yeah, they announced it also too. Multiple they announced times. it, and at every door, I think, where you showed your ticket to get in, they were telling everyone. Well, yeah. the door I went through anyway. But security was for phones and cameras. They were hardcore. It was like one warning, Enjoy. and and the next one you're out. There was a girl in front of me in the second show, and at one point I looked over and there's you know this floodlight straight at her and coming to me as well and I'm like oh what is it so so bright those lights it is it's so bright it's and like a, you're like a deer in headlights it's crazy because you're not sure where it's who it's pointing at until you locate the camera oh her and then right, um, yeah. and then she's like oh and the and the security the security was like one warning and and then like I don't know maybe 10 15 minutes later I look over again and all, I can just hear the security guy got her like by the the elbow pushing her out the door and i just heard him say i told you and she was out that was it 
gone. One warning and you're out. Yeah. They, they weren't mucking around. No. Good. <laughs> okay, so that's it. We're done with the Opera House. And now we're on to the after party. <laughs> yeah. MC. So after the show, we've got to go, we've got to tell this story. Okay. So after the show, a group of us were still hanging around the opera house. We're still like there at like 1.30 in the morning. And I got word of a possible place Prince was hanging out at afterwards called Casablanca. So I think by this time, MC, you're on your way home. <laughs> Is that by right? This time, I was already home in bed. I was yeah. on my way back. That's yeah. right. You were, I remember you were on that. Way back home. I literally Finally got back to my hostel, put my head on the pillow, just started to fall asleep, and ding, 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 get this message. <laughs> uh. <laughs> and I said to MC, uh, you know, it's a good idea if you're heading to Casablanca. That's so- not what you said. <laughs> I've got your text. <laughs> I've got your text. I think there were three words. The first one was Casablanca. Go now. Right. <laughs> get there. And then in capital letters, now. <laughs> So I turned around and, and yeah, we, we headed back. So we headed out to Double Bay and Ben Yukor Casablanca walked in to nightclub and they were playing like 90s R&B pretty loudly. The crowd were pretty drunk. It, it was an unusual setup. They had a DJ with like a saxophone player standing next to him and he would just like randomly play some saxophone along with the 90s R&B tracks. Some of it worked, some of it didn't but i mean prince eventually turned up to this venue but he was in like a private room section so he was in the next room and i think the audio feed was going into there so he could hear the uh saxophonist playing and i think he sent kirky out to tip him a hundred bucks which is good like that he's tipping uh a musician even not though like he- two not like two <laughs> podcasters who couldn't bring themselves <laughs> in a certain bucket fiasco <laughs> <laughs> That's Did you right. Put the money in a bucket? No. He <laughs> had ice in a bucket. No. But um, this particular club has a 3 a.m. curfew, so it was got to about, what was it, 10 to 3, MC? And I was saying to you, like... It's pretty close, you know, yeah. Yeah, what's going on? Mm. We were kind of thinking that Prince would come out and sort of wave, say hello, um, cook pancakes, do something. But the most we saw was, like, Kirky J sort of walking around he came over to the side that we were standing on and i it was like kind of like a roped off area and i i stuck my hand out to shake kirky's jay's hand and he kind of looked at me for a couple of seconds like who the hell are you i was going to say the don't you know who i am line but i thought i'd, I'd reserve it actually the music was really loud yeah you wouldn't so you know it. i didn't have the chance i didn't have the chance to say you know Hey, it's player from Peach and Black. And I think even if he did hear that, he'd pretend like the music was too loud. That, Sorry, I can't hear you sort of thing. <laughs> so I, I just sort of stuck out my hand and he kind of looked at me for a couple of seconds and then he, and then he shook my hand. He was a nice guy. So that was the extent of it really for me. Uh, Nick West was there. 3 a.m. came. They kicked everyone out of this club. We said we'd kind of hang around for Prince. There was about really about 15 fans, would you say, MC? That were yeah, left. something like that. Yeah, that, that yeah. hung around when, hung around the, after the place yeah. closed. Yeah. Yeah, and they kind of let us stay for about 10 minutes initially. Um, they said, yeah, you, you can stay around. And it's like, okay. So we've kind of, we've been the only ones there. And then eventually they said, right, everyone out. <laughs> so we got cleared out and we made our way to the back of the Casablanca, which is like a little laneway. And uh, it's called Knox Lane if you uh, use Google Images. Yeah. And this is the point where I went home. Right. <laughs> so MC had enough by this. So MC went home. Yeah. I was like, Prince isn't coming out to talk to Peach and Black. I'm out of here. I've got to wake up early the next day, recover, have some breakfast, 
get you know get some sleep and then go to another show this is yeah. getting ridiculous yeah so i get into this laneway and there's these two massive black cars with black tinted windows you can't see anything into them except for like the driver i think they're on their mobile phone i think they were communicating with prince and his team inside the casablanca so we kind of stood to one side by this time it was raining and then by this i've been getting texts from mc saying oh if he comes out yell out peach and black or <laughs> all this sort of stuff. Just trying to say hello to the guy, you know. <laughs> exactly. So by this time, it whittled down to about seven or eight fans in this laneway. There was also this paparazzi guy who he didn't really want to be there. He was basically saying, I'm here to get my money sort of thing. He was really rude to the fans. He, he really was. I don't know how he knew that Prince was there, but he was he was only really there to get his shot and stuff everyone else. Yeah, he just treated the fans really badly. Eventually, Prince came out into this laneway way and prince's team was, were pretty cool they actually blocked the paparazzi's vision by like shielding him with umbrellas but they also had the torches that were in the actual shows that the security guards were using which are like floodlights they were really bright yeah, they shone this strange lens yeah and so i mean he tried to get his shot i don't think he got anything i haven't seen anything come up online so that was pretty cool, but like the fans sort of ripped into him just for you know the way he was being you know to the fans and to Prince and sort of stuff. Um, and he he basically walked off with his tail between his legs. He didn't say anything after that. Prince's car drove by really slowly, and all the fans are sort of waving by Prince. We're sorry, Prince, sort of thing. I held up the little peach and black uh, lanyard that I have. You probably yeah. didn't see that, but uh, actually, I think the car was at the moment faster. he started speeding away. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what happened. That's what happened there. So I think. It was it was just the night that where Prince hung out at Casablanca because I think he was checking the venue out because he turned up again the next night. We'll get so to that. he was just sort of hanging out there. Yeah, you'll get to that. Yep. Um, the other thing we need to talk about is the Melbourne shows. Now, I don't know which night it was, the first or the second night, but Prince did uh, a yeah. party there and uh, at one point got out and had a dance with a whole lot of people. That would have yeah. been a pretty cool experience, but, but alas... We were not in Melbourne, but we know some people who were down there, and they said it was great fun. They were dancing basically with him, like, you know, half a metre right next to him. Crazy. Great. Okay, so only one of us was crazy. I mean, lucky enough to go to the... <laughs> was able to get tickets. First state theatre show in uh, in Sydney on, on the night following the Opera House, Toe Jam. When I first got my tickets, I thought, right, I'm going to go for the two that I thought would be the least, or would be the ones that people would least want to go to. And I figured that would be the, the second Opera House one and the first state theatre. So that's why I got tickets for this one. How wrong you um, were. <laughs> yeah, well, as it, as it turns out, I went to all of them anyway. So yeah. so I remember he started with um, Let's Go Crazy, which was, I mean, it was the slow version of Let's Go Crazy. So that was interesting. And it was, it was kind of weird. I don't know if it quite worked. And I love the intro of the show because I was expecting him to come from the side again. You know, he walks on from the side of the opera house. This one, he like, suddenly the silhouette is like behind this big white curtain, I guess you'd call it. Uh, his silhouette's there. It's like, well, didn't expect that. So, which just reminds me of another stupid little story, but I'll tell you anyway. At the second opera house show, the guy sitting next to me at the beginning is like, oh, I wonder where Prince is going to come from. And I said to him jokingly, oh, he's actually inside the piano. He, he opens the lid and comes outside the piano. And the guy thought I was serious. He's like, oh, really? <laughs> Yeah, that would have been cool. Way to that would have been cool. It comes out of it like a bucket. birthday cake. <laughs> All right, back to State Theatre One. There were some crazy fans in this one. I had again had a really good seat, maybe seven or eight rows back, right in the centre. And there was this crazy lady with red hair, and from memory, she had like a blue polka dot dress kind of thing, and She's and really, right now. yeah, She's like, and um, <laughs> she was. Yeah, I'm the crazy redhead lady. But, um, 
Anyway, she was getting right into it. This is really early. You know, this is like 6.30, quarter to seven or something. She's just going nuts. So Prince kind of stops and like motions her to come up on stage. And uh, what was funny about it was that the bouncers didn't realize that Prince was calling up because she starts walking down the aisle. The bouncers go to grab her and she's like, no, 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 Prince is calling me up. <laughs> like, oh, okay. So then I think it was, I can't remember if it was Take Me With You or Raspberry Beret, one of those ones. But, you know, she just went off. Uh, she was just dancing up this crazy storm and Prince was right into it, having heaps of fun with the crowd. When he finally motions to her to, you know, it's time for you to leave the stage now. He just kind of, as she's walking off, he just kind of looks at the crowd and does that like, you know, crazy, this, this girl's crazy kind of thing. And the crowd just lost it. It was, it was really good fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, was it this show where he did where he did funk and roll? Yeah, uh, I can't it's on remember. The set list. Yeah, he must. It's the second song. I wonder how that worked on piano. <laughs> mm. Don't remember. Okay, it's not coming back to me. So it <laughs> maybe not great. <laughs> Well, actually, no, I remember, I remember thinking, I was the slow, let's go crazy, and then funk and roll. I remember thinking, oh, it's a bit of a slow start. Um, then he went into Take Me With You and Raspberry Bray, all the, all the hits early, get the crazy lady sorted out. <laughs> anyway, later in the show, <laughs> he goes into Black Sweat and Kiss, and there's this little kid down the front who's probably like nine or ten. Um, and he was dancing, Anzac. He was dancing up a storm, so Prince got him up on stage, and that was the highlight of the show, one of the highlights of the whole tour for me. Just this little kid watching him just go off on the stage. He's just going all around the stage, and he wasn't like the greatest dancer, but he just had so much energy, and like the crowd was just loving it. Prince had the biggest smile on his face, like he was just loving this kid just going crazy. And what was really funny about it, Prince started pretending that he was like up being up stage. He's like, suddenly look angry, like he's all pretending. <laughs> look at the stage, looking at the crowd, like, oh, what's this kid? He's upstage. What's going on? <laughs> Um, so anyway, he finally like stops and like you know points the kid like really like, get off my stage kind of thing. <laughs> and, uh, it was really it was such a good moment like just seeing Prince be so playful with everything. Uh, anyway, musically the highlights were Black Muse. I saw Prince do Black Muse I think four times on this tour, and this was definitely the best one. And each time he did it, it was different. It seems like it anyway. It was like a different arrangement or something, but this was the best one I felt. Uh, it was like the full version and it was a bit more subdued and just a really great song uh, and also he did I Love You and Me when he first started I thought oh great and then I thought oh, I bet you it's just a tease but no no he went and did the whole thing so wow. oh, man yeah. has he played you guys that since out? like 95 that's like more than 20 years ago Crazy. yeah and even then I think that was a rarity that so was that's... guitar yeah so there you go all you guys saying oh you didn't need to see more than one more than three shows yes <laughs> yeah. you did you missed out on that one I Love You and Me for $400 <laughs> Yeah, oh, and he, well, he did Money Doesn't Matter as well, at that one? Well, Money Does Matter, apparently, so. <laughs> yeah. Some other memories, I was sitting next to Mike McGaffer, which was really cool, because both the Opera House shows, I was sitting next to people I didn't know, which, which didn't really deteriorate that much, but it was so much better uh, sitting next to someone who was, you know, I knew was a dedicated Prince fan. It was the best seats I had. Crowds were going nuts again. Yeah, that's my review of the State Theatre 1. It was a great show. And I think of the two Sydney shows, I think both the first shows were the better ones of the two. Um, now, whether that's because Prince is a bit more fresh or whether it's because you yourself as the audience member is a bit more fresh, um, I don't know. But it seemed to be that the consensus among people who saw the Melbourne and Sydney shows was yeah, that the, the first, first show was always the better one. So. Yeah, a few people said that. Yeah, I think the second one at the Opera House, he seemed maybe just a little bit messier, like not to take away anything from it, but he just seemed more focused in both the first shows. The second show at the Opera House, actually, I was surprised after playing for two hours and like really performing, I was surprised how much energy he did have for the second Opera House show only an hour later. I was that mm. surprised me. Actually, I can remember talking to people after the Opera House show and saying, I can't remember the specifics now, but I remember saying to people, look, the first show was better in terms of things were more structured, and but the second show was a bit looser, but there were, because it was looser, there were actually some really interesting, more creative moments, like in little mm. snippets. That's what I remember. But I can't remember the specifics of why I was thinking that. So. I've got to say, anyway. 
anyway. At the Opera House show and at the State Theatre, there were a fair few times he, you know, his his iPad's there for a reason. It's got all the lyrics, and when he flicked it down too far or not enough <laughs> or went to the wrong song, there was no lyrics. Hmm. He just sort of started mumbling away. <laughs> and you know, I think he he's really relying on that now. I mean, he's had like the, the teleprompters on stage for a while. I think every show well, that's I not, saw... That's not a bad... No, I'm not saying it as a bad thing. Yeah. But it's... I noticed probably more than any other concert I've seen, he's really relying on that now. But it's not surprising when you've written a million songs, of course you can't remember when all you the write, <laughs> When you write 500 songs... <laughs> Exactly. Or a thousand songs or whatever it is. You know, you you want to have that in front of you. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I noticed that. Every show there was somewhere where he messed up the lyrics. So, State One, huh? Yeah, State One. It's a great show. Probably my second favorite show of the tour. Maybe one day we'll get to hear it. All right. And the State Theatre. See. I mean, you guys can start talking about this too, but I mean, the State Theatre is such a cool venue. Such it a, is, yeah. Uh, an amazing venue. Just it is. really, uh, you know, they've kept it well preserved. It's a really old uh, theatre, people who don't know. And it's just got that authentic kind of feel to it. I think it's built in the 20s, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Could be Different right. sort of vibe as well. Yeah. Yeah, for the shows. I, I, It felt more like, I've never been to Paisley, but it felt more like listening to Prince more in the comfort of his own home, whereas the Opera House is more like the big shebang show, you know, where... Yeah, an event. Yeah. 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 So that so, leads us to State 2. That's right, State Theatre... Show to last show of the Sydney leg of the tour. Opens with controversy, which is good. Yes, controversy, rough enough. Now, we were all at the show, weren't we? Yeah. We were all there. Yeah, we were all there, yep. Is this... Well, we we were all at Opera House too as well, weren't we? Yep. Yeah. Also, both the second shows we we all were at, okay. Yeah, and there was a lot of... I mean, we don't have to go through song by song. We don't want to spoil it for for listeners too much, but there was was a lot of new material here. When I say new... There, there were this set list was completely different to the opera house shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the same with the first show as well. So that was that was awesome. That was awesome. Any any highlights that anyone can remember from this time show? Time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Again, the the yeah. new the all the new songs he played. He played time. He played yeah. when she comes. He played yeah. He played but, he played black muse. He played free yourself. And he played act um, of god relatively. Yeah, act of god. Unbelievable. That went down. Incredibly well. Well, I had a note about Act of God in the second show. He played it, and it was sort of had a quiet reaction because half the people probably didn't know the song. Then he went in, he kept the groove going, and he went into Unchain My Heart, and the crowd went nuts. And yeah. then he went back to Act of God, and suddenly, oh, everyone loves Act of God all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> that was really well done, I thought. It was yeah. like, you know, I'll get you people liking this song. <laughs> oh, how can we not We forget to mention the most beautiful girl in the world, but with... Noon Rendezvous mixed through yeah. it as well. Yeah. Amazing. Maybe, maybe this most stunning part of that, that night, maybe, I think. But again, the sound. I was sitting right at the sound back. sound in the state. Yeah, me, Toe Jam, and Jesse were literally the back row. And I think, player, you were just like one row in front of us, further down. That's right. We, yeah. we, we could see that whole theater from up there. Incredible. <laughs> they were. And they I remember when you started bleed. doing Noon Rendezvous, like, I remember looking at Captain and we both had this look like, oh, what's this song? What's this one? What's this yeah. one? Oh, it's Noon Rendezvous. <laughs> <laughs> there were a few songs. Yeah. I just remember. Surprise, look, out of nowhere. I just remember a few songs. I either looked at you or I looked the other way to Jesse when something started, like Act of God or something, and I'm just like, oh. There was a lot of, and it was almost man. like the- Party man! <laughs> He played yeah, Party Man. Cool. Yeah, I remember he played Party Man after he he left the stage for like a couple of minutes and he came back and then did Party Man, which was cool. Kind of 
to to bring the um bring the party back to the show. But that Black Muse, Tojo mentioned that that was the first time hearing that for me. That was kind of cool. He said, I can't remember what he said. Something like, "Oh, are you ready to get? Is it, was it? Are, are you ready to get deep tonight? Or are, are you?" He was oh, talking yeah, about the heavy stuff. The heavy stuff. Are you ready to talk about the heavy stuff? You know, the more socio-political type stuff. So that was that was cool. Condition of the heart. Now I have to mention the longest version of this song that he played uh, on the piano in my tour. The only time he actually sang the vocal. Sang it. The yeah. others were yeah. instrumental. I, yeah, I think he sang like four or five verses, something like that. Maybe, maybe two. Maybe, maybe it was two verses. It sounded like four or five, but that was good. It was the longest version of that, and um, nice slides, you know, all over the keys, and some really chunky power chords as well. That was awesome. That was really awesome. Slides uh, reminds me of Sly. He played stand at a fair <laughs> few of these shows. Well, it was the only one that I heard, but yeah. There was one time where he played stand. I think it was one of the state theatre ones where he kind of, it was almost like he knew he was going to play stand, but he couldn't get the melon in his head and he was trying to sing it, but he was a bit out of tune because he was trying to find where it was. And that, that was kind of interesting. Mm. That's, that, that was actually one thing about the show that I really liked is that there were mistakes. Like occasionally he didn't play the wrong chord or, or, um, <laughs> or forget a lyric or kind of not sure where the melody was on the certain song. And that actually added to the show because it kind of showed that it was, it wasn't super rehearsed. It was Prince just, you know, letting the music flow through him, so to speak. So it was, it was actually really good to see. It, it showed me that he was, he was challenging himself. He wasn't just going through the motions. Yeah, there was a lot in this show, in this last Sydney show that really we could spend all night talking about it. But um, the vibe was good as well, I thought. You were down the front, weren't you? I was down the front, yeah. yeah. And I actually felt that the vibe probably... Five, ten, fifteen rows behind me was better than the first five rows because no, I was no, in the no, fifth no. The row. The best vibe was the back row at the top. Oh, the back, <laughs> the back two rows actually. Yeah, yeah, where we were. It was the best vibe. Yeah, it was a little bit funny for for probably the first half of the show. The vibe in the first five rows also was a bit odd. I think uh, the hardcore fans probably weren't in those seats. Yeah, well, hardcore fans know that those showbiz packages are a rip-off, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the first show is the opposite. The, the, the aisles were just like people kept trying to get up into the aisles and the security guards were like, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. 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 there was a lot of go-back-to-your-seat sort of thing. What? So, yeah, new songs, album tracks, The Most Beautiful Girl in the World into Noon Rendezvous, Remarkable. Who would have ever thought? And it, and I thought that went, came across really well across the... Like, the sound of it was nice. And it was kind of quiet, quiet. Yeah. Dish, you know, so you had to really pay attention to every note, every vocal, every bit of vocal uh, nuance, ex- yeah, yeah ex- expression. So, well, one of the highlights for me was, um, <laughs> you know, just in those quiet moments, you know, just him thinking on his feet, you know, like someone in the crowd, I love you, Prince. And then he keeps playing. And some other chick on the other side of the venue, I love you more. And then he's like, I love you most. <laughs> It's hilarious. That's that's because in the first show, someone called out a love you, Prince, and then he said, I love you more. Right. And then in the second show, obviously the second woman repeated what Prince said, and then he's like, ah, well, I got the checkmate on you on that one. So. Yeah. Actually, that's, that reminds me of the Sydney Opera House uh, show had a hilarious moment where, it'll be hard to describe, but someone, I think it was the first show, they yelled out, turn it's around. Cause they were, well, no, actually, before even before then, they yelled out, turn around. They're like, turn around, because they were on the side where they couldn't see his face. And so <laughs> he plays a few, you know, noodles yeah, a little bit on the He goes like kids. another 10, 15 seconds, yeah. And then he turns around, but he, like, he, he I don't know how to describe his facial expression, but he kind of gave him a bit of attitude, <laughs> and, the, and the crowd just cracked up. And then after that, the person yells out something like, more, 
or again or something. And he's just like, and he, he, I think he was doing Little Red Corvette at the time, and he put a bit of extra oomph into the line, you need to slow right. down, and I think he might have <laughs> even turned around and looked at that person again, so that was funny. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like a diplomatic way of saying, stop yelling shit out while I'm trying to put on yeah. a performance, you know? That was probably, yeah, that, was, that cool. was one of the most annoying things, though, was when people shouted out things. People just yell out, yeah. Yeah, it was really annoying. At the if it's annoying times, for us, imagine how it feels. You know, it's not like it's when everyone's clapping and everyone's screaming anyway. It's like silence almost. And, you know, yeah. in, in dumb people's brains, that means, oh, it's time for me to shout now because everyone else is quiet. I don't understand <laughs> how that works. <laughs> That's how dumb people's well, brains t- works. There was that one woman. It was really quiet, bitch. She's like, it's my birthday, like in the middle of a song. And yeah. then, and then, like, maybe. Did that? What, was his, what was his response, though? It was very quick. He said something like, you don't expect me to believe that, do you? Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, like, what, yeah. maybe a song or two later, another another really quiet bitch. She scre- and she'd move from one side of the opera house to the other. And then she screams out, it's still my birthday. And I'm like, first of all, <laughs> stop shouting out some shit. And then I'm like, how did you get from way up there? on that side to now down here on this side what is going on <laughs> hopefully she was kicked out after that because she was all over the place I don't know if she even had a seat who knows what she was doing <laughs> there, there was some funny stuff happening in the, in the stands for sure but most of the shows were pretty good people were pretty respectful I have to say most of the time it was good I did hear one guy yell out still would stand all time and I'm like yeah <laughs> that was one of the well, opera house shows that wasn't you that wasn't you no didn't at one point Prince say it was most he's ever felt welcome? Yes. He said that in the second Sydney Opera House show? Yeah. Yeah, I think he Which said, I've good. never felt so welcome here in Sydney or something. Yeah. That's right. Okay, come back next year. always welcome back. <laughs> yep, that's right. One last thing about the Opera House and the State Theatre shows is, uh, I don't know if it's a negative thing, but it's something that was definitely missing from these shows, and it's understandable why it's missing, is compared to any other tour that I've seen, is him interacting with the crowd. Because, you know, 95% of his show, he's so focused on playing the piano and singing, he rarely even looked at the crowd. But any other tour you've ever gone to, he's standing up there, he's got a whole band to do all that other stuff. So he's looking out at the crowd, he's looking at all the people, he's playing guitar, but but there's, you know, eye contact with lots of people. And that was absolutely minimal during these shows. And... For me, that was a, what's the word? Not, you know, disadvantage, you know. As good as these shows were, as unique as they were, they gained in one way, but they also lost, I think, in that way. But there was moments where, like, he would jump up and sort of, uh, you know, run around the piano and he's doing oh, shadow yeah. boxing. But that's and, like 10 seconds. You know, he's out doing of a, some really cool stuff. But that's 10 seconds out of a two-hour show. Although I noticed every show he seemed to get more and more of that sort of getting up and jumping around the piano thing. Yeah, it's to the good. point where even in Perth, I was thinking, oh, it's a little bit gimmicky. Like he's, you know, you think, oh, any minute he hasn't done the jumping around the piano thing for a while. Oh, there he goes. Now he yeah. goes. So he jumps <laughs> up around the piano. So no, I just missed the eye contact. Well, you know, he's still learning these shows. I guess it's really the first time he's done a show like this. So yeah, he's just starting out, guys. Give him yeah. a chance. I'm not yeah. saying I. I'm not saying I expect it. Yeah, I mean, he has to look at the piano. He's playing it. Fair enough. But I just noticed that was a thing that compared to other shows I've been to, that was really, like, lacking for me. Right. That's it. I just want to finish off the State Theatre show by saying that because it was the fourth show in, like, literally, like, 30 hours, and because we were sitting right at the back, Captain, myself, and Jesse, it kind of felt weird to me because it didn't feel like I was at a Prince concert. It felt like because it was so high up. 
You're way up uh, in the it sky. It felt like I was watching people watch a Prince concert. Yeah. <laughs> like an out-of-body experience. Yeah, it was like watching a bootleg or something. It was like watching people watch Prince play. It was weird. It was a weird experience. Right. And I was sitting next to a guy who, I don't know, was probably mid to late 40s, and he kind of had that princely look to him, and I was like, oh, are you a big fan? He's like, oh, yeah, he'd seen all these shows from, like, he saw Act 1, and he saw the gold shows, and he saw this and that, and he seemed a bit, like, not jaded, but he seemed a bit like, you know, he was going to the show because, you know, just to see Prince, but it was almost like he'd sort of outgrown it kind of thing. Uh, so it was kind of a weird vibe sitting right at the back there. So. And then he said, don't I recognize your voice? <laughs> yeah. So that's it. So that's the first eight shows. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, I didn't go to any after party after the Sunday night concert because I had work the next day. And I left you guys and I was kind of stranded in the city for about an hour because... In Sydney, like, just all the transport stops. So I was kind of wandering the streets for an hour, but then, you know, I pretty much got home and then really sort of turned around and went back to work the next day. So while that was happening, you guys had a bit of an adventure here. Oh, it was great fun. It was great. Captain, tell Tell us about it. Tell it. I'll tell what I remember, but my memory is rubbish. I remember getting talked into it, but I didn't want to go. Yeah, you didn't want to go. You wanted to go back and go to bed, but we'll get to that as well later on. I had to work the next day. I had to work the next day. You did. You went straight to work. Yep. We, well, me, Toe Jam, MC, and who was it, Steve? Steve, yeah. Who was our, I don't know, our honorary member for the night. Yeah. He, um, yeah, we got in the car. We went to this Casablanca place. Because that was, someone said that was, again, that was the place to go to. It and actually was an official tweet from day Yeah, it was a tweet, wasn't it? So we got to this place, we drove past, I think there was a bit of a queue out the front when we drove past the first time. And we're like, well, he's not going to come in the front door, is he? Around the back, the back of the laneway we go, which player talked about before, we sat in the car. And we're like, he's got to turn up here eventually. So the, just, I have to add one minor thing into this. It, this is like a side street, back street, back alleyway to the club. But you can park your car there, right? So we're like, well, do we go into the club? Do we not? It was like, 25 bucks to get in. What do we do? That's 100 bucks between all of us. You know, we, we, we've had so much music. We've, we're so blessed. We're grateful and tired and all these emotions are going through your, through your head. It's just been a whirlwind experience. And I'm like, I'll just drive there. I'll park the car and we'll decide what we want to do. But we park the car, turn the ignition off, and we're just sitting there and we're like, uh, none of us can be bothered going in there, so we just decided to sit there. So I just want to make that really clear. We are not stalking the place. Captain, pick up where I left off. <laughs> well, yeah, we sat there and we're like, well, we're not going to go in because if it's anything like these other parties, you know, you, you go in, you pay money, and you sit there and you stand there and stare at him sitting in a booth. I mean, I don't. I just, what's the point of that, really? Yeah, like we didn't want to do that, basically. Yeah, like you said on the night, we were proud of ourselves for not giving in and paying that money and going in and doing that. We're like, we took one, like one step back, you know, out of Prince Stalker World, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. And we. Well, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Now, this is this isn't the way I remember things. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Toji, you, remember- you really can't remember much anyway. You were so exhausted by that. <laughs> it was all the haze. I remember driving there and we're listening to I was Larry driving. Graham's. Oh, uh, you to that. Yeah, you had your USB with yeah. Larry Graham on there and we were blasting Larry that in the release car. Release yourself. Yes. And I remember MC, then we finally got to the venue and we're sitting at the back. He's like, you know, I don't want to be like a stalker. I don't want to go in there and just stare at the guy. I'm like, yeah, fair enough. And then suddenly, like, literally five minutes later, he's like, you know what you should do? We should blast, like, free yourself. Uh, not free yourself. What is it? Uh, I don't know. Feel, feel the, the need. need. Feel the need. Feel the need. The funkiest, best song on Release Yourself. <laughs> we, we should blast it when they get here, when they get here. We should, let, let's do a practice run, quick. So, like, t- turn off the volume. Is that loud enough? Is that, will they hear that? <laughs> <laughs> so we sit. 
We're sitting there, all the windows down. Stereo up. <laughs> this car pulls up behind us. Big black. We're like, quick, this is it, this is it, quick. <laughs> and we crank up, feel the need, like, you know, just blasting. And then next thing you know, oh no, it's just a delivery guy delivering, like, bread or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's like three o'clock in the morning. So yeah, oh. so I'm thinking, yes, we're not, we're not being stalkery, are we? Of course not, no. So we're just what... sitting at the back of a club trying to blast Larry Graham in order to get, I don't know, Princeton wink at us or something. <laughs> <laughs> Speak for yourself. I just wanted to play Feel the Need really, really loudly on, <laughs> on, that on a Sunday night. <laughs> What's your problem? <laughs> yeah, we had a great time. We probably sat there for what? At least 45 minutes? Oh, at the most. But then, you know, it was funny. We just kept listening to, to different songs of, uh, Release Yourself, you know, got to, uh, what is it? Got to get through it to get to it or something and feel the need and uh, I believe in you and release yourself oh. and all this stuff. And then we were like, so, hang on, let me get this straight. You guys are sitting in this laneway waiting for him to sort of come we in the back way of the Casablanca. We just were living an alternative reality from the people who were standing in the club waiting to stare at him. Exactly. We were sitting outside. We could have just gone in. To, we were listening we were to sitting way outside better music. The club. We were also... After, after he has already arrived at the club, we decided just to stay in the car and listen to Release Yourself. Right, so we you knew that he was already inside. No, not yet. He hadn't arrived yet. We didn't so know. Jen, you remember he really came through the front. <laughs> No, we were trying to... Con- oh, no, they, they must have. That's right, because we were contacting people on the inside saying, is it worth coming in? Mm. And they're like, yeah, and they were like, there's uh, <laughs> not much going on. Yeah. yeah. And so we were getting mixed signals from people inside. So it was like, well, there's no point in going in if the people inside are saying it's not worth it. So Because, yeah, he was in his private room again. Yeah. But then we decided to go for a drive around the block just to go past the front again. We did that. And so we drove past. There was no queue. We drove past the front. There was no one there except like the couple of bouncers there. And I think there was maybe, maybe two people out there having a cigarette or something. So we drove past. We came back past the back into this back alley. And there were like these little laneways that went through to that main street where the front of the place was. And we drove past the first alley. And I looked down. And I thought I saw this big black Audi four-wheel drive. And I'm like, stop, stop, stop. There's, there's a black four-wheel drive down there. But is it an Audi? It could be a, one of yeah, the... It could be a Porsche. It could be a Volkswagen. Nothing about that at all. And, and, and you're like, no, 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 it's an Audi. I, I, know, I know. And I, I recall seeing Captain literally run down that alleyway. Yeah, I just go, I'm getting out of the car. I don't care. You can see I don't him. think I've seen Captain run before, but I saw him run <laughs> down that alleyway. And you'll never see him run again. <laughs> so I ran down there. The four-wheel drive had already gone past, so they didn't see me like running towards them like an insane person, so that was good. I got to the front of the alley and I turned left and it was only probably 20 metres to the front of the, the doorway, the entrance to this place. And I, the black Audi's right there. Kirk gets out of the front. Nick West gets out of the front. Uh, Nick West goes in, up the stairs, into the club. Bit of a scream when she gets in there. I look up and I see the everyone at the front window of this place looking downstairs at this black four-wheel drive. And then Kirk goes upstairs, has a look around. I suppose he's checking, you know, safe entry into this into his VIP room, came back out, and there were these um, three girls all stand, three or four girls all standing there with cameras, like, on their phone, just pretending they're just just standing in the street at 3 a.m. doing their phone for no particular reason. <laughs> Kirk, Kirk walks past them and looks at them, and he just points his finger, shakes his finger, and he's like, no, and he's like, no. And just good old cake. And just walks off. And, and he goes and opens the door. Prince gets out, and straight away these three girls, phones up in the air, bright lights coming out of these phones, video all the way. And um, Kirk's walking past, <laughs> flashing his super bright light into all their phones. And um, and that was it. He went inside. That was it. So you three were still sitting in the car in this alley. At least I got to see him. Grooving to feel the need. Yeah, he's still sitting there blasting that. And I came you probably back, heard that 25 was, times or something. <laughs> yes. 
minutes, and I came back, and you were still sitting in the same position where I left you. If you'd moved, <laughs> up, if you'd moved up and parked the car where we were going to park, you would have seen him as well through the next alley. You just yeah, Captain, right we're not that like spot. you. We didn't want to do all that stalker stuff. We were just happy listening to. We had actually moved on to Jamiroquai in the middle of that. We that's were listening true. That's to like true. When I came an back emergency to or planet Earth or something. Yeah. Traveling without moving. That's right. That's right. Oh, great. So Prince great. went in, big oh. scream, straight back into the VIP room, and pretty much stayed there as far as we know. And that was about it. And then I had to get to the airport. And then we. So by then it's about three. That's about three a.m. now because he got there yeah, and, maybe and about two forty-five. And you come back to the car and you're like, "So what are we doing?" And I'm like, "Well, leaving, of course." Prince has just got to the club, so we should really get out of here, right? <laughs> yes. I just remember he you, turns up, we leave. <laughs> we, he turns up, we leave, and then and then and again, I'm poker face, and you're like, and you just start laughing. I'm like, "No, I'm serious. I, let's get out of here." There's not. Like, <laughs> why, why are we still here? It's like three o'clock. You're like, "All right, let's go." And Tojo's like, uh, "Can I go to the airport?" <laughs> yeah, you're gonna I be in the airport the air. in two hours. Like, there's any point in going back and trying to sleep for two hours? Yeah. And then we're yeah. like, well, what are we gonna do? And so, what do we do? We go to McDonald's. No, we went there. Yeah, we right. went to McDonald's and Hungry Jack. I forgot about that. <laughs> I forgot about that completely. And then we're standing around <laughs> in Pitt Street in the city, eating cheeseburgers and talking about how proud we are of ourselves that we didn't yeah, waste yeah. our money going into that club and listen to that playing crappy 90s, whatever they were playing in there. It was, it was good. Our listeners are going to be really impressed by this. <laughs> <laughs> but I, 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 I'm, serious. Pretty, I'm serious. I had so much more fun than if I was in that club. I agree. I had a much better I was going to say, it sounds, really, it sounds really uneventful, but it was really fun, actually. Yeah, because it was we good. So, and it got better as the night, so, night went on. We were so sleep-deprived by that, you know, this is the second night of just no sleep, and it was three... 3.30, 4 o'clock. It did get funnier as the night went on because we were just getting more and more insane. <laughs> and keep blasting Larry Graham. That helped. It was great. Oh, I'm sure I'm missing something. What else happened, MC? Oh, I'm thinking, what else happened? Uh, there were just I think all we then, sorts of... I think then we dropped off Steve and... We dropped off Steve and we and we uh, dropped off Tojam at the airport. We went to the then airport. We, we went to the airport. <laughs> so what a night. Um... And then you, you didn't want to go I to the airport. You, you were so ready to go home uh, by that time. I was, I was, but and but I'm no, like, but oh, that's. Come on. But I was. I kept thinking when you guys dropped me off. I thought I bet you, you guys on the way back dropped past the Casablanca. I thought <laughs> you're, you're so proud of yourselves not being stalkers. And I thought I bet you they as they go. Oh, let's just go past one more time. You know? <laughs> but we did. Yeah, but we didn't. We're driving but we away didn't. from things, the airport. Things things did take a turn for the worse though when Captain <laughs> put his. His finger. Well, you were playing some weird electronic music on, and I'm like, oh, what is this? Come on, get change the radio. Has this got AM? I was playing Jean-Michel Gere electronic. See, not, not, see, not even Mike Oldfield. Get with it. I needed to come. I needed to <laughs> Tubular bells. A subtle come down, you know, and we're driving, driving, and then things and take like, a turn for the worst. All of a sudden, put on AM. I'm like, what? Yeah, AM frequency. I'm like, yeah, but what? So what, what station? And then 2CH. <laughs> The second we turn it on, what song starts? You're the voice by John Farnham. The night had ended any better. It was the best night ever. And we we just looked at each other. We laughed for like the the entire song. It was just. If it wasn't close in the morning, I would have pulled over and kicked you out of the car. But it was just too late. (laughs) It's like that. It couldn't have ended any better. It was so good. That was hilarious. And we were like just so manic by then. It was just ridiculous. Because then it was like, well, 4.30 maybe? 
quarter to five. Yeah, something like that. Anyway. So then Prince went to New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, so Prince went yeah, to New Zealand, did two nights, or two, did some shows. two shows one night. He did play some yep. different songs, though. He played Too Young to Dare, which he didn't play and anywhere else, I don't think. Temple. He played These in the Temple. Temple. He played The Ladder. Yep. He played some songs there, which oh. he didn't play. Wow. Yeah, I think when he goes to new places like Perth, New Zealand, all that sort of stuff, he'll whip out some new stuff because he's never been there before. So, you know, it's kind of like a makeup session. He played Forever in My Life at the first show as well. He played Paisley Park. Oh, he played Paisley Park a few times. Black Sweat, Question of You, instrumental. Yeah. But then, back to Australia, back to Perth. The next night. The next night, yeah. And he, someone he was crazy enough to go there. He must have been tired by okay, that night. I'll give you the story. Uh, so that Monday, after the Sydney thing, Monday I was just like, I'm done with too, Prince, too much Prince. And I remember feeling the same after Welcome to Australia. It was just that feeling of like, I don't want to listen to any more Prince for like three years kind of thing. Uh, and then <laughs> It worked out perfectly. I was talking, <laughs> yeah, I was talking to my mate Andrew who um, flew out to Brisbane on the last tour. He was a good mate from high school. And uh, so I was talking to him. He's like, he lives in Perth now. And he's like, oh, you should come over. You should come over. I'm like, nah, you know, the shows are great, but I'm not going to do it. Oh, you should come over. And so, you know, your brain starts ticking. And I think, well, if I can get that particular flight at that time, and if it's like below this particular price, and if I can get a good seat. And it was just one of those things where everything, everything, I kept thinking, no, the next step, it's going to, like, the pl- the flight's going to be too expensive, or I can't get a good seat, or I'm going to have to get, get accommodation or something. No. And it was like every one of my factors were just tick- being ticked off. And I'm like, well, I've got to do it now, haven't I? So... <laughs> I don't know. And then the moment I clicked on the, I think it was the Tuesday, the moment I clicked like confirm pay or whatever, I was just like, oh, why did I do that? <laughs> but, <laughs> but anyway, um, so there I was. Um, Off you go to Perth. Flying five hours to Perth. Now Perth is a different, is different because in every other venue, he's playing small, intimate venues, theatres, but this was a big arena show. Yeah, very different. 3,000. Very different. I'll, I'll quickly go through my little Perth story, though. Uh, so I get out of the airport of Perth. I get into a cab, and the guy's like, where are you going? I'm like, well, uh, Perth Arena. He's like, oh, what's happening there tonight? I'm like, well, the Prince is playing. You know Prince. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, the gay guy. <laughs> and I was like, mm, not quite. He's like, yeah, yeah, no, no, I, I know Prince. He, he used to have rival. He used to compete with Michael Jackson in the 80s. You know, the gay guy. And I was like, no, <laughs> not quite. So anyway, yeah, then I get enough. to Perth, I pick up my tickets, and I get abused by an old homeless man. And I couldn't do anything because I'm waiting for my meal to come out, you know, and I'm getting abused by this homeless guy. Jeez, <laughs> oh, what a start. What's didn't didn't you get some a bad drink or something? Yeah, that's right. I got a drink that was six months out of date, and this is all in the, like the first day of arriving in Perth. I'm like, geez, what is this like 1861 or something? Like, <laughs> no, I shouldn't. I shouldn't. Not that Brisbane's like that much better. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, 1972 anyway, so, in Brisbane. Now, yeah, so I caught up with uh, the infamous events hour or so before the show. Uh, Vince had gone to all nine Australian shows. And we had a good chat. And there was a uh, friend of his there as well. I forget her name, so I do apologize if you're listening. But that was that was really good fun, just catching up with people who had seen other shows. And I got the impression that we were the only three in the entire Perth Arena. I'm sure there were more, but I didn't see them. Uh, but it felt like we were the only three in the entire venue who had seen any of the other shows. Perth crowd, it seemed different. Like, there was a lot less people wearing, like, you know, there's always people who get have print shirts or get dressed up or... Have the symbol jewelry or stuff, something like that. And there's a lot less of that I noticed. So, was, but it was packed. It was like basically full. So I think it was fifteen thousand. So it's probably like thirteen or fourteen thousand people. It was his um, first time which is pretty impressive. That's true. There's a lot of curious yeah. people, I guess. Yeah. Now, so it wasn't a big arena, uh, which was a very different experience to the other shows. And just like every other show that I saw, it started off a bit, you know, especially in being in such a big room. 
it seemed a bit, oh, is this going to carry over well? But again, by the end of the show, you know, he knows how to work the crowd. He just had everyone going nuts by the end of the show. There was this guy, this massive, quite large fellow, a few seats away from me, where anytime there was anything quiet, he'd just yell out, Insatiable! Play Insatiable! (laughs) (laughs) Which was hilarious, because just this this big guy calling out Insatiable is hilarious. I I thought by this stage of the tour, I thought his vocals actually seemed a little bit raw, especially on the falsetto. Like, uh, maybe it's just the sound, but I remember hearing that. We were talking earlier about his voice kind of breaking a little bit, and I remember hearing that a bit, thinking, like, he was still hitting the notes, but his his voice sounded a bit more tired. It was great to have the big screens. They were big, massive, you know, arena screens. And that was really good. I I probably spent most of the time watching them, because you got some really amazing close-ups of his his fingers playing and and him singing, etc. Now, he had a rotating stage, uh, a rotating piano stage so after every like encore the stage would rotate like 90 degrees so by the end of the night everyone had a, a different view which was really cool the projector thing was still there that the um kaleidoscope thing but that was on a like a separate screen so they had two screens one was like the video and one was the kaleidoscope thing and it really had because it was such a big venue it had like a you know the love sexy live kind of feel to it um you know in the round and he's playing the piano it really reminded me of that uh, dortmund oh, yeah. video just the sort of look and the feel to it, the colours and everything. Yeah, so it was really great. Uh, now, the highlight for me was Thieves in the Temple because he did Thieves in the Temple in It, and that was amazing. And I heard he did that in, in uh, New Zealand the night before. Um, now, I was talking about his vocals being raw, but on that song, it just it took it to another level. Like, his screaming was just painful. It was, like, so guttural and just... Uh, you've all seen the It thing on um, Sign of the Times, and it's, it's like, it was no different. It was mm. just as powerful. It's crazy. Wow. So, yeah, it's kind of with Player a bit on that one, like, you know, we talk about his maybe losing his screams, but I'm, I'm not so sure anymore. That was just insane what he was doing there. Oh, he had his bike. You know, in the Welcome to Australia shows, he had a, his little push uh, bike. Oh, yeah, I saw that. He was riding seat. his bike around. So, yeah, going in between between encores, he would hop on his bike and then ride off, uh, which is kind of funny. And, was it the uh, same bike? Like that white, was it a white bike? I couldn't really see. I, I couldn't really see from where I was, what sort of bike it was, but... We're almost two and a half hours into it, and we're talking about whether he was riding the white or the black bike. <laughs> hey, people BMX need to know that this, this is why Peach and Blake podcast is here. The essential things. Okay. Do you have spooky dokies? What are they? Oh, no, yes. I, I could say. I could say. I think maybe he had three purple ones and one pink one. Right. <laughs> On the front or the back wheel? Uh, also interesting was that... He had his um he had his normal like Welcome to Australia Paisley Park piano the you know the sort of slightly small purple one which is like a casing for a keyboard so he had that not the keyboard that he used in Sydney which was like some special super duper grand piano with like synth strings underneath it so it's a bit different in that respect but it it was the same thing though it had the strings as well didn't it yeah 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 and he would adjust it for certain songs and, yeah uh it was a good hour and fifty eight twenty when he started and ten past ten when he stopped now okay so I suppose I should uh, get to this after show non-event for me. Ah, uh, here we go. This is what we've all been up, waiting for. Yeah, so I mean, okay, so part of the reason I went to Perth was one, to catch up with my man Andrew, two, because it was just a brain fart moment, and three, because I thought, you know, it's the last show in Australia, he's only doing one show, there's, and as far as we knew at this stage, we didn't know about Oakland, so... I thought there's probably a good chance of an after show. If there's going to be some sort of proper after show, this will be the one. So I go over there and I catch up with Vince and, and we've got this tweet that, oh yeah, there's going to be an after show at this place or, or some sort of after party down at this casino place. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, catch you. I'll see you there, Vince. I'll meet you here and we'll walk down together or whatever. And anyway, so the show finishes and uh, I didn't get, to, at, before the show, I didn't get to 
to catch up with my man Andrew. So I really wanted to catch up with him. So he's like, oh, yeah, cool. He didn't really want to go to the after party because he's to work the next day. And he's a massive fan, but he's not as massive as you guys and me. So he's like, well, look, you know, I need to get home. So come back to my place and then, you know, you can drive back in. I'm like, yeah, cool, cool, cool. And I think that was the worst thing I could have done because the moment we drove out of Perth, because he lived about half an hour out of Perth, out of the main town. Once we drove out of Perth and got to his place, I just lost all like purple vibe. It was just like, all, like I said at the beginning of the show, all the purple vibe had been sucked out of me. And I just didn't feel any incentive to go back. And there's a part of me that's like, well, you know, this is the, the chance. But I just felt like, man, nothing's going to happen. It's going to be like everything else. And I've got to drive in again. I don't really know the town. And I just felt like it's like midnight already, which in my time is like 2 a.m. in the morning. And I don't know. It was just I felt nothing was going to happen. Anyway, wake up the next morning, thought, well, I better just check. Sent Vince's text, says, oh, Vince, you know, how was that after party? Was it worth going to? And of course, he sends back saying, yeah, yeah, we came out and played for 40 minutes, the sample set. I'm like, oh, no. I missed, I flew all the way out there to miss the after show. <sighs> that, that's the story. And I said, one more time, the worst thing I could have done was to drive out of town. The moment I did that, I lost all the purple vibe. The sampler show. Yeah. I was convinced he was going to do a sample set in the show because I thought it's a big arena, he's going to have to try and get everyone entertained, but he didn't. He held off, so... Man, I was so angry when you told me the first time about this that you went <laughs> all the way there and then somehow your friend convinced you to go home to bed. And I was so angry. It's like you no, went he all, didn't. He was you like, went he, all you know, the way there. It was my fault. <laughs> it wasn't, it like, wasn't oh, Andrew. No, I'll just go to bed. Seriously. How could how know, could you weird. make such a like rookie mistake? That's just insane. I know. And Vince was telling me. <laughs> I don't want to like, make you feel Vince bad. You missed an thing. after show, but it was just a sample. <laughs> Vince was telling me the same thing. He's like, you know, and it's the same conversation I was having with you guys earlier. It's like, you know, you got to take your chances. You got to be there just in case. And and then I just didn't. I don't know. Like I said, all the purple juice had been sucked out of me at that stage, and I was just. But anyway, it was a, uh, it was a sample set. And if anyone if anyone's remembers my review from Welcome to Australia, you know, sample set's not really my kind of thing, so I didn't feel that bad. That's the thing, you have to be there. It's like me and MC on the Sunday night. I didn't particularly want to go, but I, you know, Prince is here. If anything's yeah, going to happen, like, this is going to be it. I can't go home yeah. and go to bed. You have to take that chance. Yeah. You know, it's one mm. night. I know, I know. It's one night in your stop, life. Stop grilling me. <laughs> Keep going, oh, Captain. <laughs> this show's not long enough. <laughs> exactly. But it was, yeah, it was probably 35, 40 minutes. It was just a sampler set with him singing over it. So yeah. not an amazing show, really. And when I heard it was a casino, I thought, oh, it's going to be some dodgy casino. And you, know. you probably get served some cold food and an out-of-date drink again. And <laughs> you know, that uh, guy will come and track me down again. And start shouting at you. No, okay, so we were talking earlier about, um, you know, Prince didn't seem to tell many stories. During uh, Cream... In the main show, he told a fairly extended story about his dad, about how he always looked up to his dad to be a role model, and he always was impressed by the way his dad was dressed sharply, and talked about how he was always impressed with his dad carrying around his Bible and everything. And so he actually had a fairly long story for that one. So that was interesting because he didn't really do that in Sydney. Um, which is, which is interesting other... because his dad's like the dedication or the reason why he's doing this particular style of tour. Yeah, definitely. Um, the only other note I had was it was funny. He finished one of the sets with beautiful ones, and then he kicked his stool away. Like, you know, he kicks it away and then goes off. And then when he comes back for the encore, his stool's, like, just still sitting on the ground, like, and he gives this look like, hey, who kicked my chair over? He's like, what? what what's going on? Didn't someone pick up my chair? <laughs> That's pretty funny. Uh, and that is the Australian New Zealand Tour 2016. Craziness. 
<sighs> I'm, I don't know what I'm more spent by this last two and a half hours of the actual tour. Shout outs. Shout out. Okay, yeah, shout Go for out. It. I met so many people, I can't remember yep. who they all are. Thanks to everyone that came and said hello. Yeah, hi to everyone who came and said hello. I said hello in person, yes. and now I'll say hello again. And thank you. Now, I do remember a guy who came up to me. He said he was originally from Minneapolis, but now he's in Utah. He came out here to see these shows. So, hello to yes. you. I saw yes. you. And there was that guy, Peter, who with the, the two daughters. Come on, that's player. What's the shout out there? Yeah, Peter Muscalino, his daughters Anastasia and Sienna, who listen to our show. They're big fans of ours. Um, they're our youngest fans, I guess. Yeah, 12 and 10 years old. They oh. kind of fell over themselves when I said, hey, I'm player. They're just like, wow. <laughs> I really hope you guys um, like our show and you liked the print shows. I hope you really enjoyed them. It was really good meeting you guys. Who else was there? Anzac McCormick, who... Oh, the dancing boy. Yes. And Lisa. Shout out to you. Lisa was great. Lisa offered me a ticket at the point when I had no ticket, so I'm very... I didn't end up getting it from her, but I'm very grateful she offered me a ticket. Yeah. It was very nice. The entire crew, especially Harris and Haneda. Yeah. (laughs) And I want to send a massive gratitude shout out to Jojo Bennett and Chris Webb, who without them, I would never have gone to these shows and I wouldn't be sitting here reviewing them. So massive thank you to those two people. Jojo! Yay! Jojo B. Who was one of the rarest that got a photo with all four of us together. Mm. Hmm. One of the lucky ones. Oh, we've got to thank Dom. Let's thank Dom as well for those photos. Great photos. The official Peach and Black photo. That's an amazing... Diamonds and Pearls Photography. Oh, it's spectacular. Who else? Uh, Steve Bennett, all the way from Brisbane. Yay, good to meet you. He got to listen to like a two-hour live Peach and Blake podcast in the Peach car driving around. Unbelievable. <laughs> He's in the, the only flesh, person yeah. who ever got that in history. He's had that experience. Yeah. He's yeah. the one and only. Shout out to Andrew Price from Perth. Good mate. Crazy Prince fan. But not crazy enough to force me to go back to the after show. <laughs> um, oh. Neil Siri, friend of mine who went to the Melbourne shows. Oh, Nick West. We can't forget Nick West. Actually, Nick, it was a bit of a strange experience with Nick West because um, she was around the same area where we were having our photo taken. And like that day, she had her wallet stolen from Bondi. And like she was meeting fans and stuff. But I kind of got the impression she was a bit uh, freaked out by everybody just all at once. Because I was going to go over to her and say hello or hug her or do something. Just, you know introduce because everyone was touching that hair thing mohawk thing that she has mm. and like she just kind of looked like she was a bit freaked out so i thought oh, i better give her her space <laughs> i didn't i didn't you know go up to her or anything i just thought i'll I'd just sort of back off and leave her let her be so yeah the closest mpg that i got this tour was kirky j so shout out to kirky j kaj yeah joshy we've got all the shout out to joshy oh joshy yeah joshy and natty came from adelaide kylie and joe came from melbourne Philly Pop. Philly Pop came from Melbourne. Jesse. Good chat out to Jesse. Did have a good chat to him? Yeah, Jesse. Andrew Rota. Who else came from um, Melbourne? Uh, Tass. Tass is a legend. And um, Dan Massive is... Where's Dan's from here? Dan. No, he's from Melbourne. I oh, ran okay. into Dan on the Sunday morning. I was walking around in town. And I ran into him and I, kept, I thought he was Mike. I kept calling him Mike. <laughs> and he's like, what, you think all our wogs look the same? So, uh, no. <laughs> Uh, Ash was there. Who else was there? David was from Melbourne. Heaps of people. Batman89 hung out with yep. us. Yep, yep. From Prince Orb. Yeah. So this Just is, got there on time with our burgers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Simon. Who else was there? Andrew Rota. There's heaps of people. 
Yeah, you know who we missed the most, who wasn't here. Who? Nikki. Nikki. Yes. Massive shout out to Nikki. Who's, She'll be back soon enough. Who is our international peach and black reporter? Yeah, watching from afar, supporting us, taking in all the information. Uh, Shane Lust in New Zealand had a good chat to him about New Zealand shows. Shout out to Vince. Shout out to Orlando, Marty, Leo, Marty. Shout out to Orlando and Leo. That's right. Big shout out to Orlando. I, had, I was and Leo hours on the phone with him. Leo actually coined the term Sydneyapolis. Oh, he's, coined, yeah. he's coined that term for years. Yeah. And yeah. now Prince is using it. So massive shout out. Shout out to, uh, like Gaffer. Like Gaffer. Uh, Little yeah. L. Justin, Maybe aka Paul. Holy River. Yes. And. Sonia. Derek. Nicola. Andy. You know who you are. Nicola. Big shout out to Andy. Funky Lust. Who else? Who else? Danassi, who was sitting next to us in Sydney Opera House show too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Adam. So many people. This Nicholas is the biggest, is ridiculous. This is the biggest shout out we ever did. Yeah. Sydney Opera House, State Theatre. We love you all. Audi. Audi. <laughs> Audi four wheel drive. Larry Graham. Feel Larry the need. Graham, feel the need. <laughs> oh, man. Want to send a big shout out to compelling.tv. Check out that website for your social media needs. That website again, compelling.tv. And. Shoutouts to the following people, Kylie, Di, David, Sonia, Carolyn, Nicholas, and Marcus. Big shout out to you guys. Yeah, to all the people we didn't say yet, you. <laughs> Hello to you. Yeah, to all the people who came up to me and said stuff like, oh, I really like the podcast and thank you for all the, the, you know, the work you do. I don't really know how to respond to that. So if I was weird... Don't, don't worry about it. I'm just not used to people coming up to me saying thank you for things. So it is. It is a weird experience. But it's it, they. They said to us it was weird for them because they only listen to our voices and then actually see us in yeah. flesh, and they're like, "Wow." So yeah. yeah, it was an interesting experience. It can't be a good thing, right? Because like you know, they say like when you're hearing someone's voice, you always like imagine like imagine, the, yeah, the best case scenario, and like you know, the four of us, we're not like setting the world on fire. So exactly, <laughs> speak for yourself. <laughs> Well, I didn't, didn't want to, but... <laughs> so, yeah, if I was weird when anyone said that, just, yeah, don't worry about it. Oh, Annika. Shout out to Annika. Annika. Yeah. And another massive, massive shout out to the Financial Times, Ooh. especially... Mr., if I'm saying it right, Janan Ganesh, he wrote a thing and said we were great, so I, I'll just have to agree with him. The Golden Age of Podcasting article... Uh, thank you for uh, featuring us in uh, Financial Times. We really appreciate it. Massive shout out to you. Yeah. We've got NME and now Financial Times. What's next? Um. <laughs> we'll just have to wait and see. Exactly. And thank you, Prince. Thank you for beating D'Angelo to the Opera House. We didn't think you yeah, would. Yeah. You've set a, a, high, a high bar. You've set yeah. a high bar for D'Angelo to follow, but yeah, it's incredible. We'll be there. Thank you, Prince, for playing the Opera House. That has to be the biggest shout-out, for him to come back, not after 11 years or any other ridiculous amount of time, but only you know less than yeah. four years. That's, That's great. And then saying he's never felt more welcome, I'll, I'll see you back next year. <laughs> 2017 guitar and a, a bass guitar and a microphone. I'm ready for that. That's gonna be the basic mic tour. Yeah, yep. with the with the peach and black interview opening song. Feel the need. Hundred percent. Actually, I remember someone said. I think it might have been Joshy made a joke once. He's like he wants to see Prince doing a like a kazoo and <laughs> triangle. Uh, yeah, kazoo and triangle tour. And when he said that, I'm like, that would be awesome. I'm like, seriously, I would love to see that. <laughs> You're so full of it. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> no, that would be awesome because it's like you have no triangle. idea. Could you imagine that? Like, because you know Prince would figure out something interesting about it. Like, he'd end up doing something quirky with it. <laughs> that would be cool. I just want something different, you know, like a human triangle tour. <laughs> oh, God. Actually, having said that, like, I think it's a really great tour in the fact that he was challenging himself. I never felt like he was just going yeah. by the motions. I think it was it was good to see him really challenge himself on this yeah. sort of thing. So. Yeah, and, and we didn't just see a performer, an entertainer, or a singer at work. We saw a musician at work every second of every show. You know, it was a musician at work, and, and it was remarkable. So thank you again, and see you... Soon. Yeah, see you in the... Um... No, what we've got to say really is if if you're in a town and Prince comes to your town and he's doing this piano microphone tour, you've got to go and see yeah, it. Yeah, don't worry. It can because... be 200, it can be 400. It doesn't matter how much it costs. Go, go, just one, even one show, you've got to go. Even if you've seen Prince like 300, 400 times, you have got to see this. Yeah, this is exactly. something different. Yeah. It's, um, and like I was so obsessed with trying not to buy a $400 ticket because it's $400. And then a few people are like, you know, that's, that's just money. You know, that's, you'll earn that, you know, in, in a week's pay, 400, easy. Don't even worry about it. But, you know, the memory will last forever. And it won't because my memory's rubbish, but I get the point. So I think the only thing left to do is leave you with the song that we heard at least probably 20 times on that Sunday night. Yeah. Take it away. <laughs> Take, Take it, it away, away, Larry. Larry. <laughs> Take it away, Larry.
In our review show of the Welcome to Australia tour, there's one part where Captain actually says, like, totally jokingly, oh, he'll be back here soon, like 2015 or something. <laughs> like, and he jokes about, oh, Sydney Opera House, 2015. It's, it's pretty crazy, actually. You're close. You're off. You can't predict everything. Everything. <laughs> 